Now broadcasting from the Next Gen Conservative Studio in sunny South Florida. Bringing you the latest in politics, current events, and pop culture. This is the Whitfield Report with Sam Whitfield. That's new. All right, folks, welcome to the uh, Whitfield Report, uh, Thursday slash Friday edition, which we're doing on a Friday uh, because yesterday was uh, Veterans Day. And usually we do the pop culture and entertainment uh, show on Thursday. And uh, today I have for you a new author, Mr. Eric P. Bishop, who is in the thriller genre. A lot of you have been asking me to get Jack Carr on the show, and I don't have quite enough pull to get Jack on the show yet, but uh, Eric Bishop, I've been following his uh, career as a writer for a while, and we actually, I think we met in the uh, in the Jack Carr uh, Facebook group. I can't remember either that or the Vince Flynn one. We might have one of but, them, yeah. I just been, call me Jack Carr Jr. That I'm okay with that title. Jack's such a great guy. I'll, I'll, you can call me Jack Carr Jr., but I am not Jack Carr in any way. Well, I think you might have potential to be up there, though, in my, in my opinion. So, um, but anyway, so Eric, thanks for coming on the podcast, first off. And um, how did you get into writing, just in general? What is your background? Just to add yeah. a whole. Glad to share that. So, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to have the book out, and I'm excited to be able to tell people a little bit about the Body Man and how how the Body Man came into existence. Um, so, I started writing. I read a lot, so that's the one thing I always tell people. Um, and and I, you know, a lot of people say it. If you want to be a, a good writer, if you want to write, you need to read a lot. Um, I attribute a lot of that to my dad. My dad actually gave me my first Tom Clancy book. My dad kind of got me started in that genre and uh, the Clancy, which then became the Flynn uh, books, really are what gave me the confidence that I could do this. Didn't think I could do it at their level or their caliber, but I knew I could tell stories and I believed if I kept working on it, um, I could craft something similar to what they did. Uh, wrote poetry in college. That's where I started. It's terrible stuff. I've looked at some of it within the last couple of years and shaken my head and told my kids they probably never would get to see that so they can have some uh, respect for me. Um, well, all joking aside, that kind of got my interest in putting the written word down. And um, after college, I started writing actual stories. Uh, what I found was I was good at starting stories and I was terrible at finishing them. So I have a I have something that's still on my computer here in front of me. Um, I have a folder on there called old books. And under there, I think there's probably 10 to 12 folders somewhere around that. I haven't counted them recently, but it's all just old stories. Some of them are page long. Some are 50 pages long, um, but they're all just old stories. I started and I never finished. So come to fast forward 2014. Um, uh, by that point, I had two kids, uh, full time finance job and you know, kind of just busy as can be. And I kind of hit that spot of realizing I wasn't really happy with life. I wasn't really happy with uh, the direction I was going and kind of what do you want to do? And I just had this uh, 
not a voice, but I just had this gut feeling of, well, you've always wanted to write. You love thrillers. Why don't you actually buckle down and write a book? So I, I spent a while kind of researching it, what I wanted to do. And I came up with a really good character. And then I came up with about seven books worth of high level ideas. And then I just started the first one um, in June of 2014. And I finished it in September of 2014. Uh, and that was my, it was not the body man. Uh, my first book was called Vengeance. Uh, then I wrote a book called The Zachariah Option. And then I wrote a book called The Vigilante. Um, none of those books have sold. I actually probably shouldn't admit it, but I have never read The Vigilante, the third one. By that point, I was trying to sell the first two and I finished it. Uh, I finished that book with a goal of keeping it under 100,000 words because I always had these huge books that I had to cut down a lot of words. And I, I finished The Vigilante and I looked down at the bottom of the screen and it said 99,999. And I said, I did it. And I never looked at the file again, you know, one day maybe I'll open it up and, and, and get back to those books. But it was kind of an apprenticeship to get me started for the body, man. I started the body man soon after I finished the third one. And I was working on some other projects, uh, doing some novellas and stuff like that. But I was always writing at the time. Um, but yeah, that's when I came up with the body man. Um, and it was it was years ago. It was not just a couple of years ago. I actually finished the first draft of this book. 2018, I believe is what it was. 2019 is when I had a much better book. So we're looking at two years before I had something resembling what's in everybody's or hopefully everybody's hands now today, not the books out. Yeah, it's, it's on my Kindle. So, um, so what you're saying is if, if I'm understanding correctly is you wrote a series of books before you wrote the body, body man. So then absolutely what made you decide because that because that's really that's really interesting. What made you decide the body man is the is the one to publish or I guess send to publishers mm -hmm. as opposed to the other books that you had written? rejection 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 so the rejection for the i didn't like i said i didn't even look at the third book i had still haven't looked at the third book um but getting rejected on the first the first two i pitched the first two i actually even went to thriller fest in new york city um pitched them um separate separate trips or separate uh, years and got feedback got some positive feedback and nobody would sign me and the more i kind of talked with people and then by that point the cool thing about those experiences is I started to then grow a relationship or um, at, at least a camaraderie with fellow authors. And some of these people were like big deal authors. I know we were joking earlier talking about Jack Carr. Um, I met Jack Carr in 2018 at Thriller Fest. He was, there was Friday, Saturday night, whatever night it is, they have banquet right after the, or a happy hour after all the um, panels are over. And you can just go in there, grab a drink, and your favorite authors are milling around talking to each other. And I walked in there, and I looked across the room, and I see this bearded guy. I had not read The Terminal List yet. It had just come out, I think, a few months before that, maybe, or right around that time it had come out, maybe a couple months before. Um, but I was like, oh, that's Jack Carr, because he's a stud. I knew who he was from social media, and we had interacted on social media, so he knew who I was. Um, I waited my turn. I walked over there, put my hand out, Jack, Eric Bishop. And, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm bringing Jack over to meet Brad Taylor, um, who I had met a few times and, and known um, socially. 
Um, so I got to introduce Jack Carr to Brad Tiller. They had talked, but I don't think they had physically met. So I was like, cool. Um, and then I just stood back and was a third awkward wheel as two operators talk and little financial analyst me has nothing to say to these guys. They're giants when it yeah. comes to the military. Um, but no, as I was kind of pitching those stories, one of the things I heard from a lot of people was, well, your, your, your stories have a lot of military stuff in them. And they weren't military thrillers per se, but they focused on some military characters. Sure. And one of the comments I heard from people is that, you know, the military genre is really small slice of publishing. And a lot of these agents have their big dog already, you know, um, use Brad Taylor as example. Brad Taylor has an agent and Brad Taylor is part of a publishing house and he is their go-to for military. Not that they won't hire anyone else or bring on other authors, but you know, they've kind of have their established names and it's hard for someone to get in there, especially if you don't have the military experience. And I didn't. Um, so I don't remember if someone suggested or I then said, well, maybe I should pivot. Maybe I should shift gears. Um, and I started looking more to make them more political. Um, and that's kind of why I went down that path. And I, I do honestly view those first novels as well-written from what I have. It's been years since I've picked any of them up really, but I know people that read them, people that weren't even friends, you know, weren't family that read them. So man, these are solid books. Um, so you know, maybe one day I'll visit them and I'll fix them and maybe even re, you know, revisit that series. I'd like to write those. I finished three. I'd like to finish the seven books. It might be something I can do in the coming years on the side or get a new contract or something like that. Um, but I don't think they're good enough to publish as they are now. And I, I really believe truly that that was an apprenticeship for myself. I, and I learned a lot from other authors. I learned a lot from reading books, uh, David Morrell, how to be a successful, uh, author, uh, successful novelist is a great book. Um, I just learned a lot about the industry and I learned a lot of my shortcomings. So each book, I think I got better. And by the time I hit The Body Man, and I'll, I can tell you the story if you're interested of how I came up with that, but by the time I hit sure. that one, I knew it was special. I knew the concept I came up with, and it wasn't arrogance. I'm far from arrogant person, um, but it was that confidence that I've got something unique here that I haven't seen before. And I've got a concept that I can build off and I can go a lot of directions. That's the, the most common thing I've heard from people just last couple of days and months before this that have read the book. They're like, man, you can take this story so many directions. And that's what I liked about it. I wasn't, I wasn't living in this small little world. I've created this world that can spider web really fast. Um, and, and I did that intentionally. I did that intentionally so I wouldn't be stuck with one character, one story arc, anything like that, anything that's formula, uh, like a formula. I wanted to create something that I could really pivot a lot of different directions. Um, and part of that was just to keep it fresh for an audience. And also make it fun for me because my goal in writing books, I want, I want, Sam, I want you to enjoy my book. I want, I really do. But at the end of the day, I don't write the book for you. I do write the book of, do I entertain myself? Cause I'm sure I've read so much in this genre. I know if I can like it, there's a good chance other people will like it. And yeah. so that's my first goal. Can I make, and, and I do it. I don't know how writers don't like what they do. I've hear writers say, oh, I read my book and I hate it. Or I don't want to ever read that book again. Now, I've read my book a lot in the last year, so I probably won't read it much anymore. Maybe I'll read it to my kids a little bit here and there, edit, you know, a few parts. Um, but, man, I'm proud of that book. And every time I've read it, I just read it a couple of weeks ago for how many times it's been this year. 
And I literally sent a message to my publisher. I sent a message to a couple of friends and I said, damn, this is a good book. And again, it wasn't arrogance. I just enjoyed the story. And I had even forgot some parts because I jumped into so many things over this year, even with reading it a bunch of times, I kind of like, oh, I forgot that part. All right. Oh man, I, that's right. That's still in there. It hasn't been edited out. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I don't know, that's a, I think that's a testament to putting together a good story. And again, that's, that's not necessarily on, you know, uh, good job, Eric. It's just, man, I crafted something good. The fact that people are enjoying it is icing on the cake. It's, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to have this thing out. Um, I'm looking forward to what people have to say. I'm sure some people are going to hate it. I got thick skin. I'll just, I'll I'll nicely reply or ignore them. And if I reply, I'll say, "Eh, I didn't really write it for you, but I'm sorry you didn't like it. You probably won't like the next one either. (laughs) Have you, have you been accused of like copy catting anyone or like stealing anybody's not Stop. yet if, if there's someone out there that's got an, a, a, a similar thing I, it's definitely not intentional but no i've never been never been accused of copying uh copying anything new. and and i'm not saying that like uh i'm not saying that you would plagiarize anything but like one thing that i you know that i get like a lot is there are some people who will be like well, your, you know, your podcast is just a clone of, you know, Rogan's podcast or your, or you're a clone of, you know, Rush Limbaugh, you know, you know, or choose choose your pick, you know, and you, you hear, I imagine that, you know, you hear that a lot, uh, you know, in, in the, in the author world. I remember I, I read, yeah, absolutely. I remember I read some, uh, you know, I read an Amazon review of uh, the Terminalist early on where uh, someone was like, this Jack Carr guy is just a copy of, uh, you know, Robert Ludlum and the, and the born and the born identity. And I, I mean, and I've read the actual born identity. And I'm right, like, yeah. I, and I've I'm got like, it sitting down there. It's in my, it's, it's the bottom of my shelf. I've got the, I've got all, all of his originals. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Hey, that's a lot. That, that is a long book to get through. But also, I'm not, how, how can you say that he's like copying Robert Ludlow? I'm not seeing, yeah, I'm not seeing, not... but you know, you, you, I, you get that. I, I, well, I mean, I guess. I totally get that. And I'll tell you what, I will fully admit, I'm always concerned when I'm writing something, boy, is this an original concept or, cause I've read so many freaking books. Um, am I, am, is my subconscious remembering something that. Ludlam wrote, Clancy wrote, Carr wrote, whoever, uh, Brad Meltzer. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I, I will say that plays on my brain of am I, am I being completely original? Because I mean, to some extent, really, if we, if we went down that rabbit hole and analyzed it, everyone's copying something, you sure. know, some form of what their story is. I mean, you know, how many centuries ago did people write stories and what happens? The, the boy gets the girl or the, you know, someone goes through hard times and at the end, it's all just rainbows and unicorns. So there's always some formulas and some concepts there that are probably repeated um, ad nauseum in in many, many novels, but, and it's hard to be unique. It's hard to put a spin. To me, I thought that's what was kind of cool was I hadn't, I hadn't read anything that did what I did with the White House and the Secret Service and all that. And if there is something I've never read it. So it's not something I've copied. Um, but I, I think I put a unique spin on something. And 
because there's a lot, and I have the FBI, I have FBI agents in here. I was fortunate to, um, I'm not part of the FBI, I've never been a government employee, um, but I was fortunate to take an FBI class. I got nominated uh, by a fellow writer who I'm indebted to, he's in my acknowledgments uh, for doing it for me, but I was able to take the FBI Citizens Academy class, uh, which was a 10-week class just in the evenings after work, but it was a 10-week class with the FBI. I mean, I learned a ton. Now, the funny part of that is I took the class six months after I finished the book. <laughs> so I had already written the book um, and I just, it took a while to get into the class and I, I didn't want to stop writing the book. So I finished it. And the, but the class opened up my eyes to things and I was able to go back and fix things. And I'm sure a real true FBI agent might read this and I might get a nasty gram from them about how, oh my goodness, you don't know how investigations work or you don't know how this works. And I'm sure they're 100% correct because I've never been an agent. I've researched it, right? but I don't have that pedigree. I don't have that background, but I hope the way I word it, the average person connects with the story and they don't maybe get stuck on the details. I think I got as many details right as I could. Um, but from what I've heard so far from people is they, they really believe it's true. First of all, and actually my FBI agents have gotten really high praise. I had, just people in the last couple of days that have started to get the book have been like, please tell me you're taking Eli and Kat and putting them in the next book. You know, please tell me that, that these characters aren't just a one-off. Um, so that's really one of the biggest compliments I can get as a writer is if people believe those characters um, and enjoy them. Yeah, Cause I do, I, I think of them as real people. I mean, I, I love telling their stories and they have sure. a story. So, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've done some, I've done some small, you know, not novellas that are self-published. And yeah, I mean, that mm -hmm. is one thing that, you know, just from my personal experience, you have to make your characters believable for you. Otherwise it's, it, otherwise it's not going to work. You can, you can half-ass all that all you want, but it's not you going can. to be, if you, if you can't believe your own, own character. And the other, the other thing is I, I've read conflicting things on this, but and this is another thing I want to ask you. Uh, how much of how much of your personality is injected into each one of your characters? I'm always, I'm always curious to ask to know because some authors are like, none of my characters are like mm -hmm. me, or or you know, or no, the, the characters are all me in some way. Sure. So, I would stick with the latter on that. Probably the characters all have a little bit of me and it's probably not an intentional thing. Like, well, I'm trying to give one character my um, humility or I'm trying to give one character my sarcasm. Um, I think as a writer, at least for me that I do inject, I inject a lot of my personal stories. So for sure. me, for me, what's fun is to put people's names in the book. First of all, I enjoy that. I normally make sure they're okay with it first. Although I sometimes do it with some deceased friends and relatives um that they don't get a, a say in that one anymore um but i like to put numbers in there there's anytime there's a number in my book for the most part it means something and i'm probably the only one that knows what that number means and i probably won't tell anybody what that ever means it might be something stupid like a house number i used to own or or whatever i have a couple that are more important ones than that that i've kind of stuck in there as an easter egg um actually the biggest number thing on this one that has meant the most and it's in my acknowledgments um and uh the book is dedicated to my mom first of all uh, my mom um, I, I read that this morning 
yeah so she had me um she was a single mom and uh gonna not get emotional on this one but you know my mom was my rock my mom was my support system I'm here because of my mom everyone's here because of their mom oh um, uh, yeah but my mom's been my biggest you know cheerleader and not everyone gets that story in life or not or, the, or that situation in life where their moms support them or you know I, I, I'll talk to writers sometimes they'll say my, my, my family doesn't read my books my wife won't read my book my you know my mom and dad don't read my book and I'm like my mom saw the first draft of every book I've ever done and my mom you know all the bad words and nudie scenes or whatever guess what my mom saw it it was embarrassing probably it's like mom don't read that chapter but no she's been such a support system to me and um you know, I, I've got two kids. So when I was kind of thinking through the concept a while back, I didn't have to question him because my kids even asked me, well, who's the book dedicated to? And I said, well, it's, it's dedicated to Bibi. That's what they call my mom. I says, Bibi, this is that's my mom. And they were both enthusiastic about that, of course. Um, but my grandmother, um, underneath my mom, is, it's a memorial to my grandmother. Um, so my grandmother passed away in 2010. Um, the book came out on Memorial, uh, on Veterans Day, um, which I was really careful about. I, the, veter- the publisher had asked me for a November publishing date, told me I could pick it. Uh, my birthday's on the 7th. I thought if I picked that would be a cool present, but it would kind of be seen as vain. Okay, your debut novel is going to come out on your birthday. Is that what kind of person you are? And uh, It would have been cool, but I, immediately I thought of my grandmother and I didn't even think of Veterans Day. Like I, I had to process it for a few minutes and I said, well, I want to honor my grandmother. My grandmother was born uh, November 11th, 1917. Um, and then as I process that, I'm like, oh crap, that's right. That is Veterans Day. And so, um, I mean, Jack Carr, I texted Jack Carr and said, Hey, do you think there's any problem with me coming out with a book? And I told him why. And he said, no, as long as you're not, you know, using veterans to try to sell books or using that publication date, um, in a, uh, um, in a way that's inappropriate. No. And I, a bunch of other, I reached out to about four or five authors that are veterans. I just wanted their take. And every single one was like, do it, do it. You're going to honor veterans by doing it. And I said, well, yes, I want to honor veterans, but I'm really honoring my grandmother. So um, a long story short to say at the end of the book, um, I needed, there's an oil platform in the story without giving anything away. And I did a lot of research on oil platforms and there really is a lot of oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. And they really are something for very nefarious purposes. Um, but I needed a name for the oil platform. And I started looking at how they named them and all that. And a lot of them have numbers and names. And um, it struck me, my grandmother, I won't say where she lived, but um, the town she grew up in, or or where she lived, not where she grew up, sorry, where I grew up in that area, but where she lived um, at the end of her life, her address was 84 Pike Street. And so when I had to give a name to that oil platform, I named it Pike 84, I reversed it for her. You know, she'll never know it. Hopefully she's up above looking down and knows it. But um, that was something that anytime I'll read that story or someone will read it and they'll be like, oh, cool name for the oil platform. I'll be like, that was for my grandmother. That was a way to honor her, put an address in there. That means something to me. It might only mean something to me, um, but it'll make me smile and think of her every time I read it. So that was, a, that was a, that's some of the fun stuff of being able to, just having, you know, having this book out is fun this is a this is a fulfillment of seven years of hard work and four books and lots of novellas and other started books um but getting to have those little things in there that um i might only know about it's pretty cool it's really cool it's you have a very cool cover there obviously the the folks listening to this on the uh on the podcast (laughs) 
uh, on Spotify, I won't be able to see it, but I encourage you guys to go look up the uh, the cover of this because it's it's pretty cool. The YouTube folks can can see it, but yeah, uh, can definitely check it out. You know, it's cool too because the master's name is on here. Um, Don Bentley gave me a blurb, and my publisher was able to get him to use that blurb on the cover. And um, Don Bentley now writes for Tom Clancy, uh, found out of the family. Yeah. Um, so I get, you know, I have a blurb on there that's got Tom Clancy's name on the bottom as well. And um, that means a lot to me. As someone that grew up reading um, Tom Clancy, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. It's just with the book launching yesterday, I have several big name authors that have been super supportive. Um, uh, Brad Meltzer being one of them. You know, Brad Meltzer put something very kind on social media for me. Um, he messaged me privately and, and congratulated me and mentioned and, ta- and said a few things. Um, that never gets old. <laughs> Interacting with your favorite authors and getting positive feedback from them and support from them is, is pretty darn cool. I, the, that, that doesn't do it justice, but it's, it's pretty darn cool. So yeah. I, I even have Clancy's name on my cover. Um, it means a lot. And for me, this whole process has showed as uh, a lesson for others, I hope, and definitely a lesson for my kids, because I've even we're talking about them about it last night. We went out to dinner to celebrate the book coming out and I've probably beat them over the head with it. But me sitting here talking to you, me having that book sitting up there um, shows you one thing, never quit. And I've said that 50 times in the last two weeks with media interviews and other things. And I'm sure I'm a broken record, but most people that start writing a book never finish it. Uh, a A huge percentage of people that start writing a book never will finish a book. And what's sad is they can finish a book. It's not an ability issue. It's maybe a motivation issue. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's being lazy. I mean, there's, uh, there's always a hundred excuses not to do something. But what I've been trying to tell people, especially as I've been doing media for this book, is the only reason I'm sitting right here, the only reason that cover is sitting there and that book is there is because I didn't quit. I'm not some special person. I did not craft the best story ever told. Oh, although I think it's pretty damn good, but I didn't quit. I stuck with something. I had a goal and I busted my ass to get to the end and have that goal accomplished. I didn't know if it was going to get published. I didn't know if I'd be sitting here talking to Sam Whitfield, you know, three years after I finished the book, but I didn't quit. I, I, I persevered and I hustled and that's not a that's not me saying, look how great I am. That's me telling other people, if you want to do something, stick to it. Um, at least finish it, especially for books. Yeah. Finish the book because you, you know, it's it, a baseball analogy would be, you know, you, 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 um, you miss every hit or miss every ball you don't swing at. You know, if you don't swing at any ball, you're never going to hit anything. You know, same thing with writing a book. Finish the book. It might not be a great book. You might not get the book published. Nobody might read your book. But you know what? You'll have, hopefully, the internal gratitude and joy to yourself that you started something and you finished it. Because if you're going to do it, complete it. I don't care what it is, whether it's a book, writing music. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what it is. Stick with it. Complete it. And, you know, I hope people find fulfillment from that, even if it doesn't make it, because maybe it will make it. Maybe you will craft something that someone's going to say is amazing. Um, And who knows what direction you might take your life? You know, people are always 
looking at everything and, and our, our society is so horrible about Hollywood and celebrities and sports athletes and well, I, you know, Jeff, Bezos, yeah. I want to be this person and that person. Well, you are who you are. And the only thing you can do is improve who you are if you don't like your situation in life. So get off your butt and improve where you are. Stop complaining. Are you going to be the next uh, LeBron James? Guess what? Probably not. But maybe you can play basketball. Maybe you can do something and maybe you can achieve success. You will absolutely fail if you quit, though. Sure. One thing I am cur- curious about specifically, because, because you do bring up the good point about, you know, finishing the book and all that, which I think is important, too. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not one thing. But when I first started talking to you, I, rem- I remember and I, I remember I wasn't the one who asked this either. Um, you know, because self-publishing self-publishing has become kind of a big you know thing in the last few years and i absolutely and i remember uh asking why you didn't want why you weren't self-publishing and so i don't want to repeat the the answer and maybe it's maybe it's changed a bit but what what was your did you ever did you ever consider self-publishing or what was your whole kind of so I, I don't well, remember our conversation. What was that process like? Well, I don't, I don't either. So sure. Don't um, I've never seriously considered it. Um, I've been told to do it. I've been told to do it by successful authors, honestly. They're like, especially with those first couple of books, as I was kind of hawking the body man and even getting in the process of the body man, they're like, you know, why don't you clean up, do a quick and dirty on the first couple of books and throw them out there. So, you know, throw them out on, online, see what happens, see if you get some traction. Maybe you'll Maybe you'll hit with one of those books. Um, so first of all, I don't think self-publishing is any less of you being an author than a published author uh, through a conventional publisher. Um, I'm actually with a smaller publisher. I'm not with one of the big fours. Um, I was. I had a hell of a time trying to get an agent, and I man, I sent. 93, 92 queries for the Body Man, and I had a lot of interest. Nobody ever signed me for the Body Man, um, and I'd have some people being like, "Man, this, yeah, this is a great book." And I'm like, "Okay, we'll sign it." They're like, you know, political thrillers aren't doing that good, and it's got DC in there, and stuff's going on with Trump, blah blah blah, and uh, nobody would touch it. And I had authors read the book, and they're like, "Damn, this is a good book," and I'm like, "No one will touch me," and they're like, "Then they're wrong." Um, and so that's part of why I went with a smaller publisher. I didn't have as many hoops to jump through. Um, and there's pros and cons with that. Um, but self-publishing, the reason I did not self-publish and wasn't really interested in self-publishing is you are everything. Of course, you can hire people out. You can hire someone, you know, Force Poseidon did an absolute kick-ass cover on this book. You can hire someone to do a cover for you. And, you know, there's a, a, a pretty vast price range on, on that. And there's also normally a quality range. Um, you can hire a professional editor. Um, which I actually did. I hired a professional editor before I went through, even got forced beside him. I did an editor before I started uh, in between two rounds of agents. Um, I hired someone. And I think that's what got me eventually with Force Poseidon is I had a very polished manuscript. It wasn't perfect. I had gone in and made changes after the edit was done by the professional editor. And I probably jacked things up because I'm not an editor. I will fully admit that. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to do all those pieces. Um, I've 
I'd rather sit there and write a book and then show up a week before pub date and come out and do these fun interviews and be like, Hey, the body man's great. And then go back in my, you know, my world and travel and do all kinds of fun stuff and write and, you know, avoid all the rest of it. But it's not the reality anymore. And it, I think if you got a big contract, maybe you can have that life, but I can't. So um, I didn't want to go down that path of having to do everything. Um, but I do, like I said, just to complete that thought of, I, I do believe that there, I mean, there are some self-published authors that I, I'm friends with, that I know that write books that compete with anyone that's on the bestseller list. Um, and those authors cannot get an agent to sign them, which I think is absolutely ridiculous ridiculous um but that's the nature of the business unfortunately so what's your option for them they decided to self-publish i applaud them and i'll support the heck out of them for doing it um other people self-publish because it's a really easy way to say you're a published author sure I mean, anyone can self i i could i could i could have self-published in the last week i could have gone before i got my my book out with fourth or with fourth Poseidon with my launch I could have been a published author a week ago and uploaded one of my early books that I finished uh, with warts and all. I'm a published author. I mean, I, in some ways, what does it matter? Um, you know, I've got my book in my hand. I've got amazing feelings of what's happened the last couple of days. Um, but, you know, you, you do have to be introspective and think, what are you doing it for? For me, I want a career. For me, I want not just the next book. I want four or five books down. Uh, the road. I've got some of those planned. I've got several in other stages. So, I, you know, I want to, I want to build a following. I want to build people that don't just um, like one book I did, that they're going to like all the books I did. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thought. And that's, but yeah, self-publishing, traditional publishing, I think they both have their merits and they both do have their shortcomings as well. It's crazy to me that those agents were rejecting you based on the fact that political thrillers don't sell quote unquote at least that's what they were saying because every time i go on amazon or every time i and maybe with them. or maybe it's maybe it's just because that's what i tend to read i mean that that's pretty much all i read other than right. other than like books i've had to read for college but for me i mean i'm a i'm a thrill guy mm-hmm. through and through especially with audible so to me it's like it's insane that Oh, political thrillers aren't selling because I mean, shoot, everyone, you know. And Sam, she the person that did this, they could have been flying out of their teeth, just blowing me off and saying sure. something. And they had a full manuscript and they read it for a while. So I wouldn't think so. But um, so I will step that back because I do know a lot of agents. I had agents that congratulated me yesterday on Twitter. Um, agents that rejected me, that rejected the body man, still congratulated me and said, Good job, we're proud of you. Um well, that, that's good at least yeah oh no well i have a good you know i don't some people despise agents and i'm not one of them i think agents have a really tough job you know uh, years ago maybe it's not the best thing to say but i was told the best uh, the best description for what an agent dove does is their job is to keep the crazy people away from the publishers because there's a lot of people that write that are strange people i guess and they need that buffer zone so the publisher doesn't get inundated. So they have this thing called an agent. But I have a lot of respect for agents. Some sure. of the really good agents, they might get a hundred, you know, people coming at them every week or day. I don't even know what the numbers are now. Um, I don't remember them. But they have to weed through a lot of crap to find it, you know, to find that one diamond. 
And unfortunately, they probably overturn a lot of diamonds in the in the process. Um, I know they do because I know people that haven't made it through the process that are diamonds. Um, but they have a very, very difficult job. So I have a lot of respect for agents. Um, so it, it's it's tough. It's a tough. It's it's a it's a it's a brutal business. This is. I write because I'm supposed to write. I'm meant to write. I have stories in my head that have to come out. They give me joy. Um, it makes me happy that people like my stories. But if if I was a writer because I was trying to pay my bills or I was trying to be rich or I was trying to fill in the gap, um, yeah, I'd be crazy because this is a horrible. Sure. It's a horrible business now for someone that gets a seven figure deal or someone that gets, you know, all that, it's probably a great business, but you know, the average writer has a full-time job or at least a part-time job. Um, yeah. The average writer that gets to quit their job gets to do it like after four to six books that are successful, not just four to six books that sold 500 copies that, that sold really well. You're still not quitting your day job for most people um, unless they have, you know, a spouse that makes really good money and they can just stay home and write yeah. full time. So, um, you know, I, I wrote the first four books I wrote, um, mainly I have family and mainly I wrote six nights a week from 10 to 12. The first book wasn't like that. And the first book I can only say is I didn't know what I was doing, um, which was good. I was blissfully ignorant. Um, but I physically got myself sick because I would put the kids to bed, kiss my kids. Good night. My wife would go to sleep. Um, I'd sit down at nine 30, 10 o'clock and I would write until two, three, four in the morning. I, and I wrote that first book. I started it, I think started at June 26th and I finished it September 19th. I might have those dates a little off, but you know, in the better part of three months plus I finished 115,000 word book. And one night I wrote 7,000 words. Um, it was, wow. just like a it was a monster night and I was so psyched. I couldn't fall asleep. So it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm watching Seinfeld episodes. So I'll fall asleep. Um, so by the end of that process, I was so pleased with what I did and I was physically sick. Um, so when I, when the time came not that long later to start book two in that series, I knew I had to train myself to do something different because I was sick. It was, it wasn't a sickness mental, but it was, I was physically making myself sick because right. I wasn't sleeping enough because I didn't then sleep in in the morning because I had a day job. And I had to perform. I had to function. I had kids. Um, so the pattern I fell in for book two, three, four, and the other things I've written. Um, and I'm not in that pattern now because I'm marketing and I'm, I need to get back in this pattern and I will soon. Um, hopefully once the body man is, uh, is on good feet and selling well. Um, but um, I try to write from 10 to 12. That's kind of my window. And for some people that's horrible. They want to write in the morning. Uh, for me, I get a little tired after work, have some dinner. I kind of get my second wind. And that's where my brain is popping. That's where everything's connecting for me. So I try to write that, you know, six nights a week, 10 to 12 um, is, is my goal is what I try to do. And now it's different. Now in the last year, my life had a lot of life situations change in the last year. It's been a, a interesting year. Um, now I'm more apt to, if uh, I'm writing on the weekends or writing, if I'm somewhere, if I'm traveling, I'll spend um, spend a couple hours just sitting in a coffee shop or whatever, but, um, but you got to find a pattern. You got to find what works for you. Cause what works for me doesn't work for the next writer. So, and, and what do you just writer to writer, uh, what do you, what do you use to, to write 
in, in general? Do you, I mean, I'm assuming you have a laptop of, of some, of some, yeah, and I, and I don't use a MacBook. I'm one of probably the few writers that don't. MacBooks are okay. I, I most of the time I want to take my iPhone and bash it against the wall because I hate it. And uh, I don't, I used to have a Galaxy and I think I didn't like that one. So it's probably not Apple's fault. It's probably my stupidity. Um, but yeah, I just write, um, what's my computer now? That's horrible. I don't even know. Lenovo. Yeah, I got a Lenovo now. I think I had an HP before that. And I might've had a Compaq at one point. They last me about two, three years. I mainly just use them for writing. And then of course, talking with you. Um, I don't, my, my daughter uses them to watch Netflix or Disney plus, um, after school. Um, but, and I just use Microsoft word. I know there's a lot of different uh, options for people to work for me. Word has always, I'm probably just because I'm comfortable with it. I've used it since college um, in the earlier versions of it because um, I'm kind of old, I guess now. But um, Word works for me, though. I just and I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm very fanatical about backing stuff up. So I have a obviously the hard drive of the computer. I have an external hard drive. I keep in a fireproof safe that I frequently will back up the, the books. Um, I have a thumb drive that stays in my wallet. And I email myself files every like night or two that I'm writing. Because I've heard way too many horror stories of writers say, oh my God, I lost 20,000 words. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to happen to me. I might lose words in an hour of writing, but knock on wood, it's still never happened to me that I've lost anything of substance um, so far. And it better not change. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. back everything up when we get off this call tonight. Like, crap, I need to back everything up again. When's, when's the last time I did it? Yeah, well, and that and that's kind of the same with with podcasts. I mean, I I the reason I ask is like I I do have a I do have a Mac myself, um, but you know you also hear like a bunch of writers using these things like Scrivener and yep. uh, like like Storius and whatnot, which I use more for like I've used for formatting stuff yeah. because some of those are easy, but I, I generally like I tend to write all my stuff. Um, especially for college, like in, in just Word and then, you know, formatting it later on and some of those. Gotcha. Other, yeah, uh, I know. Um, I know, it, and I never really talked to him about it. I know Jack Carr with maybe the fourth book, third book. Um, he went to Scribner for, for one of the books. And I, I want to say, though, um, he's not told me this, but I think in an interview, because I, I watch his interviews. He's such a fascinating person to learn from um, and to just absorb. I want to say he's back to using just a regular, uh, if it's Word or whatever, but a regular Word program. I don't think he's using Scrivener for the book, for, uh, at least the current book. Uh, what is what is he like in person specifically? If I if I if I may ask, because oh, sure. no, I, like I said, I, I went up and introduced myself, and uh, the second time I've only spent time with him in New York at the conference. I've never seen him outside of that. Um, but the second time I saw him at the conference, he was actually flying back from Africa. Um, and he didn't get in until Saturday morning. And I think I texted him that morning to say something. And he's like, Hey, do you know where I'm supposed to be? I just landed at the airport. I'm on my way to the shower, the hotel. Where am I supposed to be? And I was doing security, um, which was not as glamorous as it might sound. I was on the security team for the Thriller Fest and I had my schedule with me. I said, well, yeah, I know where I said, I'll meet you and I'll show you. I'll take you where you got to go. Thanks, buddy um and then I think I got him to where he needed to go and he was just like I said you need anything um yeah let's be Jack Carr's lackey because Jack's a stud uh because I need coffee and I said I know you want honey in that yes I do so I I think I went up to the banquet hall they had already taken down the coffee for the morning and I was like I ain't coming back without a coffee that's Jack Carr and he carries knives so 
um, there was a Starbucks in the bottom floor of the uh, Hyatt. So I went down to Starbucks, got a coffee. I said, you guys got honey? They like, looked at me like, yeah. I'm like, I need a thing of honey. Um, so I, I've always taken my coffee with honey as well. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've always gotten crap for uh, I've always gotten crap for it. Like, you know, what are, what are you, a woman or something? And I'm like, well, one of the top Navy SEALs in the country takes exactly, his, exactly. Takes his coffee. I like my coffee with cream and sugar. And if anyone wants to make fun of that and say you don't drink black coffee, I'm like, I don't like nasty coffee. I like it to taste good. So, and I like even yeah. flavored coffee. I have Hawaiian coffee, macadamia, vanilla, macadamia cooked coffee that I, that I brew sometimes. But um, yeah, Jack's an interesting guy. Um, he's uh, fortunate. And the last time we got together, I'm trying to think what was that? I was 19. Um, I sat in on a session with him. I went and sat with him. He didn't come sit with me. I went and sat with him. Um, Stephen Hunter was being interviewed. Um, Bob Lee Swagger fame. So Stephen Hunter's a very well-known author. And Jack was a huge fan of Stephen. And I don't believe he had ever met him up until that day. And so there was hundreds of people in the ballroom. They're interviewing Stephen. And I sat next to Jack Carr, who's idolizes Stephen Hunter. And I couldn't help but to watch him watch Stephen. Um, and so if you're around Jack for any bit of time and you kind of observe him, um, I don't know if he'll ever hear this or not. He'll chuckle at this, but he's, he operates at a different level. Um, you know, for 20 years, he was the tip of the spear. You know, he, he's, and he's, the thing I think is amazing about him um, is the fact that as a young person, I think he said seven in some of the interviews I've seen, uh, at the age of seven, I think he knew what he wanted to do. He knew he wanted to write books and he knew he wanted to basically be a SEAL. And maybe it wasn't seven, but I know it was an early age. Where yeah. He, and then he just focused on doing that. And again, I think that's the trademark of a successful person is you figure out what you want and how do you accomplish that goal? And that transcribe that, that transcends anything. That transcends sure. me telling people don't quit being an author. That transcends being a Navy SEAL. Um, but so much of it is mental. And I know Jack has said that in interviews. Um, I know he's talked that about that. And I, I've been to, and I've, again, I've never uh, been in the military, but I've been to Coronado and I've seen the training that goes on there as a civilian, just walking on the beach and seeing these guys come back, come by with the big poles and all that. Yeah. And I've seen interviews with Jack where he's talked about it. And he said, you know, guys would let that bell get in their head. And they think about, am I going to ring that bell? And he's, you know, and I, and I, I won't paraphrase exactly what he, but it's or paraphrasing what he was saying is basically like, he was never going to ring that bell. There was no way he'd ring that bell. What do I have to do to not ring that bell? And he would just take one task at a time. I think some people would look at it hell week and all the stuff and look at where they were going to go next. He would just take it as one block. Okay. I got to get to lunch or I got to get to this. And he just, you put all your energy into doing that. And I mean, that's a mark of a successful person. The thing about him that has always struck me is he does not, he does not seem like a celebrity at all. In, in fact, no. In everything I've seen him in, and this is kind of one of the things, I don't know if you can speak to this, but he actually almost seems uncomfortable with the idea of maybe being a, pub a public figure or being a celebrity. Maybe not uncomfortable, but he doesn't really, I mean, he, I mean, you, you can 
like you can tell uh, with, with like Stephen King, like Stephen King is used to now being like a celebrity. Stupid. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, he's used to being, yeah. you know, a celebrity. And same, I think, with Tom Clancy later in his life, maybe. Jack, I don't, Jack, I just don't really see that in him. Like he seems, he seems to be the type that would be perfectly happy to, to to just be the average guy at like the local Best Buy or something that you know you're gonna run in. That's interesting. Um, I probably have a different take on that or on him, but it's probably because sure. to some degree I do interact with him and have uh, yeah. knowledge of him. Um, he's and again from what I know from him and just interacting with him, and a lot of it is just from seeing interviews with him. Um, I've not had that many conversations with him, um, uh, but he's a driven person. He knows what he wants. He knew he wanted to write books. Um, he's very, what's the word? He's very adaptable. And again, that's the sign of not just a successful person, but that's a sign of someone that can get something accomplished is he can adapt. Okay. And I'm sure he learned that from his military training, but you know, okay, I'm, I'm told to get to this point. Well, I get to this point and it's blocked. Well, what do I do? Some people would turn around and go back. Hell no. They're going to go over that wall. They're going to go around. They're going to blast through. Um, Adaption is one of those things. And I think you have to do that just circling it back to writing. Um, I've learned a lot of lessons through this process. Just the last couple of months, I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I had someone message me earlier just talking about how good the launch went. And they're, you know, who's your publicist? Who's your marketing team? Who's that? Um, well, how'd you learn all this stuff? I learned from other people and I've also learned I have to adapt. If this isn't working, okay, I'm going to try that. Um, you don't want to make a fool of yourself, of course, which I probably do from time to time, but, uh, um, yeah, you just kind of learn to roll with it. And I, you know, this process, the publishing process, the writing process, you kind of learn what doesn't work. Um, and then you just have to find a way around it, or you have to reevaluate your goals or, um, or what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but it's, it's been a huge learning curve, huge learning curve. And I think, you know, back to someone like Jack, I think he's, he's a master that I know he, I don't think he has any aspirations to do, you know, people always, I I've seen interviews where people say, you know, Hey, you gotta do politics. And he's just like, new because that's getting popular there's a lot of uh military guys now that are actually running for office yeah Um, and i I don't i don't see him doing that from just not not that he's told me just what he said in interviews i don't see him um and i don't know why you'd want to yeah that's not a knock at any of these guys that are running we need good people to run and i think the reason why good people haven't run for so long is because how nasty politics is and which is part of why I wanted to tell this story um I'm telling a story but I'm probably injecting uh serious uh beliefs I have into that story of how how do I think Washington works how do I think the the puppet masters pull the strings and um yeah which 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 I mean this this is somewhat of a this is somewhat of a political show usually so I am I am kind of curious with with the body and kind of diving into that i i don't want to get into spoilers or anything so what what is kind of the premise of your yeah so so let me tell you how it came about because that's normally what i'll end up 
telling people and that kind of stirred the conversation. So uh, back six years, five years now, I really should know that, especially since I'm being interviewed. Uh, many moons ago, back, I was probably six years ago, five years ago, I was doing a cleaning job one night. I had finished a different book and I was looking for, I was kind of coming up with a new concept. I was still working on stuff. I think I was editing a book at the time and um, I wanted a new story. So I uh, had a nine to five job, had a family of four to support. I had a Friday night cleaning job at an office that you'd go in there, take two and a half, three hours. And it was literally vacuuming, cleaning bathrooms, dusting, um, mindless work, which was kind of cool in a way because it let me have no distractions, no kids, no daddy this. And I love my kids unconditionally, but I had time to myself to think. Sure. It was so mind numbingly boring. So one night I walk in, turn the alarm off and I want an idea for a new book. Um, it wasn't a voice in my head, anything weird like that. I'm not, um, not one of those crazy people, the agents are supposed to keep away from publishers. Um, but I had this thought run through my brain. I, I might be. So, you know, you're, so you're, so, Hey, you're, you're okay to say anything. That's uh, no problem. But so I had this thought run through my brain of there's always someone who knows where the bodies are buried. And immediately I thought to myself, man, I don't want to tell a mafia story. I'm not going there, but I kind of answered my own question well, who would know where the bodies were buried? And I immediately, the term, the body man, those three words came in my head. And I realized I heard those terms, not from me creating them. I had seen a news story about President Obama. He had a gentleman that worked for him named Reggie Love. I'm actually going to try to get a copy of this book into Reggie's hands. He's a real guy. And the media dubbed Reggie the body man. Um, like I've told others in other interviews, I never really looked into what Reggie's role was exactly. I don't know what his official title was in the, in the White House. He was I, dubbed the body man. I can tell you some of the conspiracy theories about Reggie. Oh, I know there's tons and I, I've looked at a few of them, but, um, you know, what I understand it to be or understood it to be factually was Reggie was the body man's guy to get him whatever he needed, hold his Blackberry, carry his smokes, um, need cash. Reggie's got, Reggie pays for stuff. He's there. He's a body man. He's right there with the president. He gets the president what he needs. Um, and I thought about that. And then I thought very quickly, well, that would be a really stupid story to tell. That's going to be really boring. Even if the president does some things hanky, um, how am I going to tell a story about a guy that's uh, an administrative assistant maybe? Um, and, but then my brain, which is fairly clever, said, well, what if there was a role in the secret service and what if the Secret Service independently called this person the body man? What if their job was not to protect the president? What if their job was to protect the office of president? Um, and then my next thought was, well, what if the body man had to protect the office from the office holder, him or herself? Um, which was not necessarily where the story was going, but I, was, I, I flushed out the concept of what this role did. Um, so the, the role has two parts. Your job, the president does something they shouldn't do that's going to sully the name of the office. Your job is to clean it up. You clean up whatever mess the president made. However, the controversial maybe side of this that's really getting explored with book two and book three right now, because um, I have got book three a little bit started and the concept very high level, even though two is nowhere near done. Um, the body man actually has the authority to step in and prevent the president from doing something, which opens up a big can of worms. 
So you have a person within the White House that you could view has more power than the president, and they're unelected. There's no accountability. What the hell is going to happen with this? So it's a real fun concept that you can take a lot of different directions. And the thing that I like about it is it doesn't seem that far-fetched anymore. No. I mean, I mean that I mean that I mean that's that's the crazy. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. I've had a lot of people say, is it real? Do you know this? And all I'll tell people is truth is stranger than fiction. Oh I yes. Know. Truth is stranger than fiction. So um, is there really a body man? Does he really do what I describe in the book? I'll never tell. In- interesting. It could be because my life would be taken away from me if I revealed what I actually know. Mm. <laughs> mm, well, so you, so it could be someone in the room with me right now. So uh, yeah, well, I got my get out of free jail card. I've got proof that I'm part of the, I'm part of the the club. So I'm, I'm, I'm covered. So. Well, you, you, well, you may be one of the most interesting people I've had on the podcast. Certainly, certainly this year. Cool. But just in, but just in total overall. Um, and the other thing too, and again, I just started re- reading the book, but so far you haven't named the body man or given him a name yet. He's I, just called the body. It's called man. the body man. Yeah, that was a that was not always like that in the narrative. So earlier drafts, the body man was named a lot earlier. Um, I, I kind of did that for multiple reasons, but the most simplistic way to say why I did that was I wanted to create intrigue. I didn't want to have a name and say, oh, the body man is named Eric. Oh, that doesn't sound as clever. Um, But I decided not to make him the body man the entire book. Like even the body man's name is revealed. Um, And in the second book, I kind of waver back and forth. And again, it hasn't gone through editorial. I haven't finished it. I I know where I'm going with it. I've got the ending done um, or, or, or in my head. It mapped out and I know some of the middle but I'm still diving towards the middle uh, um but uh yeah I kind of like the intrigue fact of it that you didn't know the body man. even it's a really cool name that's still just a name but the term the body man it's cool it, it, uh, I created something cool which is really fun to be able to do but um what I want to say about the role too that I didn't talk about before is one person can't be there because the body man has to be with the president. You can't protect the office and be sitting in San Francisco or Detroit or Hawaii. If the president's screwing up or doing stuff, you got to have eyes and ears on the president at all times, pretty much, or have a way of monitoring them. So the body man role is not just one person. Um, the body man is a person, but there's always an apprentice. So you basically have the person that has the experience And then you have someone right behind them that's in the off hours, basically, that's going to step in. Because what occurs with this role is this isn't a role for life. Uh, This is a role, and I don't really clarify this exactly, but the role has a set expiration date. At the end of that expiration date, you are are basically removed from the role nicely. um, And you are given a very generous severance package, and you are sent elsewhere in the world with one instruction or two instructions don't ever come back to the united states and don't you ever reveal what you know those are your two rules if someone gets you 
If someone's going to try to get that information out of you, every body man has a way of ending their own life. And that's what they're supposed to do. You die, your secrets die with you. Um, so the body man reti is retired. The apprentice steps up and becomes the body man. And a new apprentice is, is basically um, assigned. Um, in the start of this book, first chapter, body man is kidnapped. Yeah. And I, that's not giving it away, but the body man is kids. So it's about finding the body man. That was another thing that people had given me grief for of like, well, the body man's not in every chapter. It's like, well, no, the story is about finding the body man and, and really the intrigue of who is this person? Um, because the apprentice then has some issues occur. So I really tried to throw the story on its head in here. And the second story is not going to have as much of that going on, but everything else is getting thrown on its head in book two. Um, and really it's, it's going global. It's going a lot more, uh, a lot more crazy things. And I, I think when people get to the end, they're going to be like, holy shit. Is the bot, is the bot, is the body man your main character even, would you, would you say? Or... No, that's the crazy part. And that's the part that I did have some very, I had one in particular uh, author I really, really respect, a very successful author who, I don't know if they read the whole book early on, because it was rough when they read it, when I gave them a copy, but their feedback was, and it was more because I wasn't getting an agent with an earlier draft. Um, they said, well, maybe you need to just do a complete rewrite. And I maybe, and they were, you know, one of the ones that said, why don't you just tell it straight from the body man's perspective? Well, once you dig in and once people read in the book and they see what's happened in the story, I think they'll understand my thought was, I don't think I could make a great story just following the body man, considering where the body man is through most of the narrative. Um, and I didn't want it to be that way. Again, I write for myself. I liked the idea of the story being who is this person and making it very mysterious while at the same time having these two FBI agents who are the protagonists in my mind, um, trying to figure out A, who is the body man and B, where is the body man? And that's what carries a lot of the story. And um, Eli and Kat are my FBI agents. So you have a, uh, I don't really give his age, um, but you have a, a seasoned FBI agent kind of in the middle part of his career, middle to later part of his career. Um, nobody wants to work with him. Eli can be a, a jerk and uh, doesn't like partners. And here he gets this case pop up of a missing person. His, his, his supervisor basically says, hey, bring the new girl. Cat's fresh out of Quantico. Bring her. She needs to get her feet wet. She's sitting on the complaint desk right now. Show her what investigation's like. So you stick these very two unlikely people together, and they carry the story. And the great thing about them, though, is and what I really liked about her character, and I can't wait to explore it further with other novels, is she's not this little flower that comes out of the academy and kowtows to this senior agent. This girl's tough. This girl's tough as nails. Whatever Eli throws at her, she throws right back at him and adds a little more for good measure. You're do so you're you're kind you're, you're kind of doing the uh, the the seasoned cop versus the and and the budding. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I grew up in the 80s. Um, uh, let's see what was, uh, yeah, I grew up in the 80s. The formative years was the 80s and the buddy cop things were big. So I know those in the back of my mind of having those relationships. And I, there's a lot you can explore with that. So I kind of take that, but yeah. I, I, I give a twist to it. And there's, uh, I, I've gotten some very good compliments 
um, that, you know, these weren't these one dimensional characters that started here and ended the same spot 444 pages later, however many pages the book is, um, but they, they changed, they evolved, their relationship changed for good and bad. Um, and so, you know, and that's, I think that's what you should do as a storyteller. Um, you, you know, at the end of the day, your job is to keep those people turning the next page. That's another compliment that I had been given early on is every chapter ended with people saying, okay, I want to see what's next. And I know for me, not as a writer, but as a fan, because I do read not as much as I used to, but um, just because of time and all my writing. And um, But when I read something, man, I want to get to an end of a chapter and I don't want to put that book down. If I have a reason to put that book down, um, then I might put it down. And that's one thing that's changed over the years for me. If I was given a book by someone or I bought a book, even if it was a crappy book, and there's a lot of crappy books out there that sell a lot of copies, um, I'd read oh, yeah. the whole book. I bought the book. I'm going to read it, man. I got no problem now taking a book after two chapters and saying, whatever, didn't interest me, put it down, give it away, stick it on the shelf, never look at it again. I won't think twice about it. Um, probably because I'm getting a little bit older. Time's precious. I have stories myself to tell. I don't want to read a 400 page book, put it down and be like, damn, I just wasted seven hours or six hours or however long it takes to read a book of my life. Um, I want to put that book down and be like, and that was really cool. This person knocked it out of the park. And I want to feel that every single time. So as an author, that's my job. Every time I write a chapter, every time I write a book, I have to make sure I'm not giving them a reason to put that book down, just like I'm doing when I'm reading someone else's book. When you, when you write, do you write from a, I guess, I don't know if this is the correct term, but cinematic perspective yes. and, and I, I, see, I see those scenes in my head yes yes absolutely yes so it's, that, it's, it's a movie in my head yes yeah I mean I I mean I've kind of done the, done the same thing and most writers I I would assume you would think most writers do operate that way but I think it's some, pretty common yeah but I know some that don't um for for sure. for whatever reason have you and I I know that you're probably nowhere near this but have you ever like pictured what this would be like as a, a movie so i have and i've had this question this week i've done a few interviews um so i will answer it but i will answer it also with saying i do not have anyone specific in mind um i when i write these and i think of these i do create the characters in my head how i see them sure um, not always their faces sometimes sometimes not it's kind of weird in a way um but they're never anything like, you know, cat um, is not Gal Gadot, you know, uh, um, the body man is not whatever, George Clooney. I don't, even, I don't even know how old is George Clooney now. I don't know. But probably part of that is I don't watch. I do watch movies. So probably tonight after I get done with you, this has been a, a blessing of a week, but it's been a really long week. I think I slept four hours. I, I don't know. Last night I was, I have a nine to five job. Uh, even Kyle Mills even messaged me and said, dude, you didn't take today off work. No, I worked my job yesterday, uh, even with a book coming out. Um, cause I didn't have like a lot of stuff lined up. I, I had an interview in the morning on the radio and, um, I didn't have anything in the evening. Um, I had my kids last night. I don't always have my kids. So, um, with having my kids, I wanted to make sure that it was just about family. Um, and, uh, uh we went out to a fancy dinner and I sat down finally at 11 o'clock last night 
and started to go through Twitter. So Twitter is kind of the Twitter is kind of my main social media platform that I use, but it's also where I probably get the most um, the most feedback, basically. So same. I've got something deep in here. Sorry, I've got a beep in the uh, put back in the other computer. Oh no, no Can we problem. Pause for a second. Sure. Okay. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So, uh, Eric, you were saying about social media and uh, yeah. just how that whole process has been going. So, last night, by the time I got the kids to bed, we had a, a really great dinner out, uh, one of my favorite restaurants. Um, kids had a great meal. We had a great server. Um, it was just one of those really fun nights just with my kids. So, I got to really, my joy of it was having my kids there. Uh, with me last night just to celebrate the book. So finally, I think it was 11 o'clock last night, uh, I sat down and a Twitter only like, once you get like 20 likes or tweets or any of that, it just says 20 plus, at least on my phone. And again, I might be an yeah. idiot. So I didn't know how many I had, but I had a couple fairly big name authors message me and me and be like, dude, you're like blowing up Twitter. You're everywhere on Twitter. And I said, yeah, probably going to take me a while. Cause I, I just made a promise to myself, not going to promise anyone else, but I said, I'm going to respond to every stinking message I get on Twitter. I'm going to do it as quick as I can, <laughs> um, but I'm going to reply. And I'm just not going to just reply. Thank you. Thank good, you. Good luck. No, I did. So I started at Sam at 11 last night and I finished at two. It took me three hours of sitting on the couch, not taking a break, not stopping. Some tweets took a little longer to reply to because they might have been to Jack Carr or Kyle Mills or some big name authors. But I, you know, they, and I got a lot of kind responses from a lot of big name authors, which is completely humbling, not name dropping. I'm just, I'm, I'm a fan of these people. Um, I don't say, well, I'm friends with this person. I'm friends with that person. I'm a fan of these authors. Um, and I learn a lot from them. And if, and if I can interact with them and learn something from them, uh, I'm all, that's, that's why I'm, I want to learn. I want to be a better writer. I want to be a better communicator. Um, but yeah, it took me three hours. I have no idea how many responses I, I applied to. I would say hundreds, um, likely, but I was, I was going to tell everyone, thank you. And every response I gave was 100% from the heart. Um, cause I don't take this for granted. Um, no. not everyone gets to have a cool book launch. Like I had with all the people congratulating them. And um, I don't deserve it, in my opinion, but I got it and I'm grateful and humbled by it. So I'm going to tell everyone. And, and that's something that you see from some authors, Jack, and I'm not, we don't want to focus this interview on Jack Carr, but um, that was always the thing that amazed me about him, especially earlier in his career is um, he would respond to everything. If you sent him something on Twitter and said, Jack, good job doing this, you know, you'd get a thank you or you're oh. out or thumbs up. Oh yeah. I I have to I have to tell you, I I uh I bought one of the uh I bought one of the Jack Carr uh baseball caps. It's out in my mudroom. Uh, I got right one now. in my bedroom. But yeah I trick-or-treated with mine this year. I got one. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think you and I have, have the same one. I I bought that thing on um, probably the week before uh, the fourth before the fourth of July. It came it came on the fourth of July, so I I wore it for Independence Day. <laughs> tweeted tweeted it out, put it on Instagram. Wasn't expecting 
anything you know i got some likes from some friends and from sure. some uh, and from some other people in the podcasting sphere but uh apparently jack carr mentioned me a couple a couple of times like featuring in the apparel thing on his instagram and i i was not expecting and that's pretty that cool. at all i mean i'm like wow you know he's he's taking part of his time out of his holiday you know to to reply to that so no that that's awesome i mean and i think i think what you're doing is is smart with that because i I mean and it's not a marketing gimmick it's nothing like that i see how these authors treat their fans and and brad Meltzer was the first one i saw do it and i know jack carr does it because i know jack um i want to treat the fans the way they feel they should be treated and i mean with Jack, that might change. And I'm not speaking for Jack because I've never asked him this and I don't know this, but you know, Jack is a big deal right now. In oh yeah. Um, um, and there's a lot of people that want Jack's time and energy. Um, they want to message him and tweet him. And if they, if they've got his phone number, they, they might want to text him. Um, you know, he, he gets a lot thrown on him. And I think that's going to jump up exponentially next year, whenever it is the Chris Pratt series comes out. Um, so he, he's, He's probably going to reach a point where he's going to be more untouchable. But from what I know about him, and again, I'm not a close personal friend and spent lots of time with Jack, but I do know him. I do know his character uh, just from the times I've spent with him and the, and, the, and the interactions I've had with him. I know what the guy's made of. Um, I can say that with some level of confidence. Um, if you don't get to contact him much in the next few years, it's not going to be for lack of him um wanting to say thank you it's just that he won't have enough time i mean i right i don't know how many messages i had last night i don't know how many, but i sat there and, and it's not this is again this isn't a woe is me i enjoyed every moment of it and i'm proud to say that that was an honor to sit there for three hours but i sat there for three hours last night and responded to tweets i'm sure that's not an uncommon occurrence for him over the last couple of years all the messages he's gotten because he has a lot more fans he sells yeah. a, a hell of a lot of books um you just you can't have the bandwidth and the time because he also has a family. Um, he has other responsibilities. Um, he can't just sit there for 12 hours a day replying to people's tweets and texts and instant messages and Instagram and Facebook and all that. It's just not possible. So I know it, he probably has to cherry pick it now and it probably get even more next year um, when he becomes, you know, Jack Carr superstar with Chris Pratt playing James Reese. Um, but it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. It really couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And, and um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of his. I'm yeah. fortunate that I have interaction with him, limited, limited interaction with him that other people don't get, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his writing. I'm a fan of how he treats people. I'm a fan of how he interacts with people. And, um, and I'm, I'm a believer in karma. I think good things happen to good people. Um, uh, not everyone in the industry has a great reputation um because of how they treat people he's one that has everything i've ever heard a stellar reputation and everything i've interacted with um he's humble he's grateful um and he's like the rock he's also the hardest working man in the room you're not well, gonna outwork jack car um no way no how well and and you if i may say have very much the same you know type of personality you seem very humble you seem very hard work I don't as, deserve this I'm well. the person to admit that you know and and I mean I can tell that you 
were passionate about writing the book and that you wrote this for for you and and this is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on because I think I think there are so many uh authors out there I'm I'm not gonna name anyone specific but I and I think it's easy to get sucked into once your book hits or once anything hits whether it be yeah. uh you know whether if you're a music producer or an artist or a model or what have you I think it gets I think it becomes so easy to get sucked into this and you know into the fame of it all and getting getting the big head well I'll tell you a quick story and this is why Eric Bishop won't have a big head um you know my book came out last night and that was again I've said it several times I'm seven years of hard working four books to get a book published um I bled sweat cried tears all this to be a published author um no big head, no, I deserve it. No, nothing like that. If I started to have one though, don't worry. I have a built-in popping mechanism and it's called the love of my life. My daughter, I was going to read to her my book. Yeah, I think it was Wednesday night. So I'm sorry. It wasn't last night on release night. It was Wednesday night. Book hadn't come out. I have an advanced copy. I've got a copy of my Kindle. Um, and I said, honey, you want me to read my book to you? Cause it's not a kid's book by any stretch, but there's stretches in there. There's no bad words. Sure shootings or anything there's dialogue and I thought ah. and I've read to my son my son's been like cool dad this is awesome I'm proud of you and he, my son's 14 my daughter's 10 so we're laying in bed I pull out the kindle so like, yeah daddy read to me yeah I read about a page and a half and I looked over I said what do you think she goes I don't like it very much and I was just like <laughs> stabbed to the heart but it wasn't really a stab to the heart I laughed and I was like there we go I want to be humble I'll just read a book to my daughter and I'll realize I'm not a big deal. The 10 year old doesn't care what the hell you just wrote. You're just a regular guy that some people might like, but guess what? Your own flesh and blood, blood you love unconditionally. Yeah. You're not that. Big what, 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 what is, what does your son think, think of the book? I, I'm, I'm curious. He's not read it. So he's only read, I've only read parts of it to him. Um, they'll both get copies. My daughter actually informed me. I don't have my hardbacks yet. I'll get them at some point from the publisher. Um, but um my daughter informed me that she gets the first signed copy. And I'm like, well, you're not really going to read the book. Um, well, my, you know, saying my son shouldn't be able to read it either. He's only 14. Um, but um, yeah, but- given them, I'm going to, they don't like me crying. My son was actually here. I got a book this afternoon and it just worked out time-wise that my son was with me for a little bit, um, not in school uh, for a few minutes. And um, I would get ready to drive him to where he had to go. And the post office, postal person picked up or, pulled up and they had a package and I knew what the package was. It was a copy of the book. I had not touched a physical copy yet. I had only had a, um, a digital copy and a printed off copy that I, that I worked on edits and stuff like that. But um, so I said, well, let's film this. Let's make it quick. I've been having a lot of videos this week. People are probably sick of seeing Eric Bishop. Sorry, folks. You probably see me a few more times, but I'm trying to be sincere with the process. And I'm so humbled I'm so grateful for this opportunity and sometimes it's just easier for me to just put the phone on the stand shoot a quick video tell people what's going on instead of typing 10 tweets or something like that so yeah I told my son let's open it together and he's I'll film it yeah I said awesome let's keep it 30 seconds I didn't think about what I was going to say I just said I'm going to open it I'm going to talk um yeah I, I got like you know 10 seconds into it and I wanted to cry 
Um, and he don't like that. Uh, he doesn't, he gets upset if you cry in front of him. And I had to like, I had to like probably in the video, if you watch it, it's on my Twitter feed, it's on Facebook, Instagram. I had to kind of like, I check for a second and be like, okay, I can't start crying. I don't care if I'm crying on film, but I don't want to cry in front of my son and real men cry, but he just, it bothers him. You know, I don't want to see you cry, dad. Um, I don't. Yeah. And I don't think that's bad either. I think, especially I think especially for what you've done. And since this has been like a life long, long dream of yours. I mean, I, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I actually, back when I was back when I was in high school, back when I first started podcasting, um, actually, um, Mm -hmm. I was a big fan of uh, Andrew Breitbart, who has since passed. Absolutely. And and, uh, at the time, Breitbart's protege was a little known uh, columnist named Ben Shapiro. So I that might be. (laughs) So I I reached out to I reached out to Ben Shapiro and emailed him. And I I was a I was a senior in high school at the time. And I was and I was just like, you know, I emailed him and I I think I said something like, you know, I wanted to interview Andrew on my show, but you know, I never got the chance because Mm -hmm. he passed on. Would you be able to come on? I I Mm -hmm. sent the email. Didn't expect that I would ever get a reply from him at all, but he right. res- he responded, you know, within like five minutes or something. And so we set the thing up and he did my show probably later that month. Um, it's been probably, I did that interview in like late 2012. It was before the, it was before Obama's second reelection. Okay. So it's been almost i think like nine years now i mean i still get people being like wait how do you interview how do you manage how do you manage to uh, interview ben shapiro and i'm like well ben shapiro was not ben shapiro was not wasn't ben Ben shapiro shapiro ben shapiro not ben shapiro (laughs) so you know and but you know that was that was very humbling to me even back then because i'm like you know wow he took he took the time to be on my show and he didn't, you know, I was just a, a senior in high school. I, I really didn't have an audience at the time. Right. And Absolutely. so, you know, I've always been very humble, you know, with my audience and, you know, just with guests and sure. you. And so that's why I'm grateful whenever I have people like you who are on, you know, you might not be a big author now, but I, you know, I think, I think the book has potential. Um, you know, maybe someday people will be asking, "Oh, how did you manage to get uh, Eric Bishop on?" Then you can be like, show. "He just talks to anybody." I mean, geez. <laughs> no, so, <laughs> or uh, you know, or or vice or vice versa. Absolutely. Know? Um, well, it's a, it's a great way. To, it's a great medium to share your story. Um, you can connect with people. You know, back years ago, you didn't have that ability to um, to connect with your audience. It's a double edged sword. Yeah. Um, the biggest issue, I guess, I'd say, not podcasts, but I'd say with like the media, social media, all that in general. And I'm a huge consumer of it. I, I look at it. I post on it. So I'm, you could say, part of the problem. 
Um, it's a great way to interact with people. And that's the only reason I know Jack Carr. It's the only reason I interact with Brad Meltzer, Kyle Mills, um, you know, and I don't want to just say big names, David Darling, uh, Joe Goldberg, JT Patton, you know, authors that aren't as, uh, as well-known maybe. You know, the only reason I know any of them is because we met through basically social media. So yeah. social media has helped open up from a writer's perspective, uh, uh, a plethora of contacts and su- uh, an amazing support system. And that's the one thing I can say about the writing community. There's, there's always the outliers. Uh, you got people that, you know, honestly, frankly, are jerks. And there's not very many of them. I haven't interacted with very many of them. But as a, as a general rule, um, you know, these are a group of amazing, amazing individuals. They're talented. They're willing to help each other. Uh, most of them have a very little ego um, that at least comes out. Maybe they hide it well. But um, And I do, and I mentioned this in another interview, uh, might have been last week or earlier this week. I think part of that is because as a general rule, most people don't make it as a writer or don't even get into it very heavily when they're younger. So by the time people have gotten to the point where they've written a book, um, they might've gone through a couple careers even. So they've kind of had a maturity level um, develop. They've had life experiences. I couldn't have written The Body Man 10 or 15 years ago. I could have maybe written an okay concept of it, but I needed experiences. I needed to be jaded maybe. I needed to be more sarcastic. I needed to be more clever. I needed to learn a lot of things that only comes with life experiences. And, um, you know, I'm a blessed person in many ways. One of them is I've gotten to travel. Not not as much international as I wanted. I have been out of the country multiple times, but my bucket list for international travel has not got knocked off as much recently. And and I've got a lot of places I like to go, but, but within the U.S. I've been to most. I just knocked off two states recently. So I'm at 45 now, and I wanted to be at 50 when I was 30, and I'm 45. So I'm 45 years old. I've been to 45 states. I wanted to be at 50. 50 Not bad. But no, I mean, and that's exactly true. Anytime I kind of get down at myself and go, man, you haven't hit the 50, no, I go, you know how many people haven't been to five or 10 states? You've been to 45 states, and I've not just been to 45 states, and half those states I landed at an airport. Um, I've spent time in most of those states. And sometimes I've spent a lot of time in some of those states. I've lived in, how many states have I lived in? One, two, seven, six, six, I think six. I literally just got a new North Carolina license a couple of weeks ago. I shouldn't know how many states I lived in, but I I moved across the state line. I didn't move very far this time, but I'd already lived in North Carolina before. So I've done North Carolina a couple of times. I've done South Carolina a couple of times. I've done the Western states, several of them. I've done the Northern states. Um, but I've been able to travel a bunch and that's, uh, first of all, it's a blessing. First of all, it's a blessing. I've been able to do that. But, uh, second of all, that opens things up. And that's the one, that's one of those things that I always try to push people, you know, the, Oh, should I go to the beach or should I take my kids to Europe? You know, pre COVID COVID's jacked up everything. Yeah. Um, and I'm not being negative about it, but COVID's made sure. everything more complicated. Sure. Yeah. Um, you can't just travel. You can't just say, I'm going to get on a plane in six months and go to Paris, or I'm going to go here. You might not be able to. Are you vaccinated? Do you have a negative, you know, PCR test or whatever it might be? Are you masked? So it's, but pre-COVID days, you know, I tell people, man, take your kids to Europe. Don't take them to Disney World. Disney World's great. I've been three times. Um, 
I've never taken my kids to Disney World. I haven't taken them to Europe either. So I'm, you know, practicing preach at the choir here, but um, man, go out and explore. I, you know, I've been to Europe. Um, I've, I've not, again, not traveled as much as I want, but man, I think when you go see other places, it opens your mind. I think when you see other cultures, it's beneficial for you. Um, and you maybe don't take for granted as much what you do in your regular life. Cause it's, you know, we're, we're talking here, Sam, and we both live in, you live in Florida. Yes, I do. Okay. So we both live in Southeastern region of the United States. I'm in North Carolina right now. Um, I've traveled love North, some love North Carolina. North Carolina. I'm, I'm right in the foothills of the mountains. I was up in the mountains twice yesterday for two different things I had to do. So I was up and down the mountain. I, I, I've driven that my car, my poor Honda is, uh, hates going up that mountain probably. And I drive up that mountain. I used to do it every day for work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a beautiful part of the country and that's just it. We live in a beautiful place. We live in, uh, we live in a country that for all its warts, for all the negative things I could ramble on for hours about politics and all that is we, you know, how many people want for nothing? You know, how many, this is, this is a higher version. Obviously you don't have to see my gut. How many meals have I missed in my life? I've missed zero meals in my life. Maybe when I was sick or maybe whatever, but I have, have I ever been in a position where, right. I, where I couldn't have a meal? Even if it was a meager meal where my mom never was able to feed me when it was just me and my mom. No, I've never been in a situation. And I mean, I've actually brought that up to my kids before. Go look at worldwide stats. And I, they're all, they're going to be correct in my head right now. But look at worldwide stats of how many people don't have running water, don't have a toilet. Um, it's not 100 million people. It's a billion plus people that live in what we would say is abject poverty. Well, there is poverty in the United States. Don't get me wrong. There's homelessness. There's a lot of blights that we need to continue to work on and, and our communities need to um, help others with. Um, but the average person in the United States is doing pretty damn good. and. Um, I know I take it for granted and I'll be glad to tell most people you probably take it for granted too. Oh yeah. I, I definitely know I take some, some of the stuff for, for granted. I'll go out and grab a pizza when we get done tonight. I got the ability to have money in my pocket, drive out, grab a pizza, come back, maybe crack open a beer, watch a little television and go to sleep. Cause I only slept four hours last night and have a good night's sleep. And you know, I have heat. I have central air when I need it. I have lights. I have a big screen television. Um, I have all these comforts that for the history of mankind, nobody had, nobody, you know, you were worried animals were going to get you. You were worried a rival tribe was going to come over and, you know, kill your family and you're going to have to battle them. You know, that's not a concern you typically have to have anymore for majority of people, especially in our country. Um, so, you know, we live in a very, very fortunate time in history. Right. Um, and I think if you travel, Circling back to what we were talking about, if you travel and if you see how other people live, you know, maybe you come back and you go, okay, I can probably be a little more grateful. Um, I can probably be a little more humble because um, we should. We should be I, that way. I think one of the things that has happened, though, I, I was talking with a friend about this last night, um, is I, I think... And it happens on both sides. I think I think the media and the talking heads on both sides are so. We live in a nonstop news cycle where it's you know twenty four hours. Yeah, where it's it's twenty four hours. Not, and it, it's never 
it's never good news either or it's rare rare, it's rarely good news you're you're always you're always hearing out one bad thing or another and i mean i think and i mean i think that is something i i haven't read too far into the book yet i just finished uh chapter three i i think it is but i can kind of tell that if you're going where i think you're going in in the bottom and you do kind of touch on some of the political divisiveness in the book it gets worse in chapter it gets worse in book two but yes it absolutely but yeah, no, the media cycle that well, and we live in an age of technology, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, yeah. We live in an age where everyone's got sound bites, everyone's got three or four words they want to get out and get to everybody. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 that's not it's hard to have kids in this gen in this age. Um, my son frequently will say he's fourteen. Uh, he frequently is like, "Dad, you had it made, man. You grew up in the '80s." Because I'd be like, "Yeah, you know," and, and I'm. He'd, they'd ask how it does. It's like, yeah, you know, on the weekends you'd go over a friend's house and you'd sleep over. In the mornings you'd get up on Saturday morning, you'd watch cartoons, jump on your bike. I would drive down the road with my friends. We would go to the corner store and get some candy and stuff. And I was told to be home by dinner. My mom wasn't sitting on the front in the front yard watching us going. Where are they going? Where are they? No, we were gone for eight hours. I wouldn't let my kids go out the front door and be gone for eight hours now. Um, is the world that much worse? And you can make an argument probably that it is, yes, but, um, or is the fact that when a kid gets kidnapped, my phone buzzes and I get an Amber Alert. Um, uh, And I'm totally drawing a blank. The name of the girl in Florida that was found dead out West. Oh, Gab, Gab Petito. Okay, sorry, sorry to not remember that name, but that was a huge media story for everywhere. Every day, all these stories. Um, and I'm not making light of that fact that that was a media story or, or I, I mean, what that girl's family went through is hell on earth. Um, but during that time period with that girl missing and then being, you know, found dead, you know, how many American kids were missing, you know, how many are missing right now? It's the numbers are astronomical, but one person got all the news cycle and yeah. it's crazy how, the, how things happen and the manipulation that takes place and and i i it's funny that you mentioned that because i brought that up on a live stream podcast mm-hmm. that i did and i and i got flack because people were saying oh you don't care about you know you're making light of, and i'm like no i'm not making light of the fact that she was kidnapped i just find it interesting that there are probably hundreds of you know kids that go missing yeah missing per year there so are i think i mentioned earlier i took the fbi citizens academy class um yeah, which was yes you did an amazing experience i wish i wish everyone could take it um uh you have to be recommended by someone else that's graduated i could recommend people um uh, honestly possibly um if it was offered in their area um but i wish more people took it and one of the nights one of the sessions we had was about the sex trade which I've looked into for a book, um, uh, one that I've started. I looked into a little bit for an earlier book. Um, not something I want to look into, especially with having a daughter, with having young kids. Um, but if you look into that trade, that, that's one of the things that it's not in the body man, but that's one of the things I found that the oil platforms in the Gulf have been used for is human trafficking. Yeah. Bringing people up from South America. And guess where they process them? 
uh, right down the road about two hours and 45 minutes called Atlanta, Georgia, which I was in a week, two weeks ago. Um, you, you read these things and I don't know, as a dad, as someone with a belief system, a conscience, you're like, dear God, is this really occurring? Are guys really doing this to these girls and people are really selling their kids and all this other stuff. And man, you get down that rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, you want to write a book called The Vigilante, like I did with book three, which wasn't about that, but it had a little aspect. But um, it's crazy. It's crazy what happens. And the the FBI class, I mean, they talked about the stings they would do for these guys that would be looking for, they were pedophiles, looking for young girls or young boys. Um, and man, you're taking that class and you're just getting so blanking mad, mad at other guys, mad at humanity that's like, Oh man, I don't know. That's what, that's, that's, I think everyone has those issues that really, really bother them. I hope everyone has an issue that they would be bothered by yeah. and child molesters and all that. But I mean, that's the one where you don't want Eric Bishop to become the president of the United States or anyone with a lot of power, because you ain't going <laughs> to want the rules that I would probably put in place. Cause uh, there ain't three strikes and you're out. There's one strike. And guess what? You won't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ever. well well, hey, listen, if you want to start a presidential campaign based on that, I'll run your campaign. I do not want to be the president of the United States. Uh, I'll be the body, uh, yeah. I'll be the body man, but I would not want to be the president of the United States. Not from what I know about the role. No well, I, I can I can tell you just even working with the college Republicans for the brief period. And I mean, I never formally worked for them but i ran a few clubs and so i mean i met a few political people some some are great but others are just like yeah you realize that both sides of the of the aisle people are just really duplicitous and yeah i mean i and i i i guess i would consider more like right right conservative man political views but at the same time it's I'm not clear cut to the right either. And this is the big problem we have is with the political parties, it's either you believe in everything we believe or you're out. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, most Americans just aren't like that. And most of the people in politics aren't like that either, even though they would have you believe believe that. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say I'm disenfranchised with politics, but I mean, in some ways I am. And, you know, it, it was to the point where I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm just going to step back and kind of reformat the podcast the way I want to. So I, I did right. that like five, five years ago because I'm like, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing to be talking no. It's one thing to just be a talking head. It's another thing to actually have a show and have a personality. So. Right. No, I completely, uh, I, I completely agree. So yeah, it's, um, and I try not to get into politics very much. And the, the reason I don't now, or, and I have like even Twitter, at one point I was a little more political. Um, you piss someone off no matter what. Oh Whether yeah. If you're conservative, the Democrats hate you. If you're a Democrat, the Republicans hate you. And honestly, I've really, as I've gotten older, I've become in the middle. Um, I really see both sides. I, I, I see it as one snake with two heads a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the fun part of writing these books, because 
you can put your beliefs in it or you can put your spin on it. But the fun part about it for me is you can do whatever you want to these jokers. You can do whatever you want to the president of the United States, to the vice president, speaker of the house. I've got a lot of fun things going on in book two. Um, you can kind of take your angst out on these fake characters and feel like, hey, if I was in charge or if, hey, if I was this guy, this is what I could do. Um, so you almost, you get to have a lot of fun with it in a fictional standpoint. Sure, yeah. I've, I've read a lot of authors that have or heard a lot of interviews with authors said that. It's like, you know, it's great. You can kill people you don't like in a book and you don't, not killing anyone. You're not, at, you're not advocating killing anyone, but you can let your stress out. Uh, hey, this character is going to meet a really, there, this pedophile is going to have a really bad day and it'll be his last day he has a bad there, day. There are definitely some scenes, especially in the terminal list, where I was kind of like, how did this get past the, how did this get past the publishing? Uh, I'm pretty sure in interviews, Jack said um, they really made almost little to no changes on his book. Would, um, I think they, yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 the one scene with the uh, wrapping around the tree, if you're going with that one, that's yeah. graphic. Well, in the, um, uh, w- which was the, um, what am I thinking of now? Um, Savage Son. Yeah. Savage Son, he has a scene later in the book um, with a tomahawk. Yeah. Um, and so I asked him about that scene. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be in contact with him at times. And I asked him about that. And I think he said it in some interviews too, but, you know, he told me directly that, um he actually recreated that scene or that scene was kind of planned out with someone that he knew that was very well skilled in that type of uh weapon and so it was a completely like choreographed scene that he then put into the book with the tomahawk um but and i can't speak for jack but i think he probably gets to live out some of his fantasies of what he might like to do and how the justice he'd like to see done you know, you kind of work out your issues in a, in, in written form and, and people enjoy that kind of stuff too. People, you know, want to, I think deep down, most people want to see the bad guy get what's coming to them and the good guy to be able to shine. And we all know that's not life. Um, but it is nice to be able to live in a world where that can happen at times, even if it is not reality. Sure. I also think though, to have characters with, complexity and you know with flaws as well you know is very is very compelling like there there's i think i i can certainly say that i see aspects myself in uh you know james reese uh you know jack carr's main character the funny thing of it is and again i might be giving eric bishop a big head here but i actually I actually saw you as James Reese initially when I was casting him in my head, not Chris Pratt. Interesting. I, mean, I don't think Amazon Prime would have gone for that, but because uh, I'm much more of a nobody. <laughs> I'm not a James Reese or a Chris Pratt. I will take that. I, um, but yeah, I'm not a. <laughs> well, I, I thought I thought you and I thought that you were an operator at first when I, I know, when I, I first. And I've always been careful about that. And I, I probably because a lot of the stuff I put on there are military. I had an office previously. I'm in a different house. I just just moved. Um, but one of my earlier offices um, had a lot of flags, and I had people directly say, "Well, you served." And so I've always been trying to be very, very open with people and say I did not serve. 
Um, yeah, I've got a flag right behind me, which that one came from Afghanistan. Uh, the one over my shoulder came from Iraq. Uh, the one up there actually uh, was, oh, you can't see that one with the screen, but there's one above higher up that that flag actually flew on the USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor on September 11th. It was not September 11th, 2001. I think it was 2009. Um, so my shout out is I have a buddy that's retired now. Um, I still don't say his name or anything like that. I don't put pictures of him online. I never have. Um, I knew him from college. Uh, I finished college. He said, screw this. And he dropped out of college. And he wanted, he had gone been in college because his mom wanted him to go to college. And he didn't want to go to college. So he dropped out three years in and he joined the army and he wanted to be in the army. It's what he always wanted to do. And he served for 20 years and saw a lot of, a lot of tours, a lot of combat, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Lebanon, Kosovo. Um, and the cool thing about it was on most of the times he did a tour, he brought me back a flag. And uh, especially when I had my last office, I don't have them up here in this new house yet. I'm going to find a spot for them. Uh, they're in storage right now, but um, I have a flag that was flying, according to him, I think sometimes he might have told me some stories, but uh, I have a flag that was flying when we invaded Iraq, um, and he came in from uh, Jordan, so I have a flag that was literally hanging on the border, Jordan and Iraq, and I have the Iraqi flag from there. Uh, I have a flag from one of his uh, fifth group uh, teams when he was over there that they, would, they made two flags. I have one of them that they would hang off the back of their truck. Um, so I have those flags mean a lot every now and then he'd ping me and be like, how are my flags? And I'd be like, bitch, those are my flags. You gave them to me. What are you talking about? Um, but, um, so I have a lot of connections and uh, some other folks that I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends with too served. Um, and, and it's probably why I'm drawn to the, to the Jack Carr, you know, authors and some of the other authors that are military. Cause I didn't serve. But I had a, I just have an immense amount of respect for people that put on a uf, uniform and, you know, willingly are going to give up their life for you and me to be able to sit here, have this conversation. Um, and most of us will never know who they are, what they do. Um, that's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing uh, person to do that. Uh, men yeah. women, they're amazing people. Yeah. I mean, I've had the chance to to know a few wounded veterans uh in my life and you know those to hear those stories some of them some of them yeah. won't some of them won't talk about it others for whatever right. reason won't stop talking yeah about well, it which, which is also yeah in, interesting to hear to hear those experiences of, of what those guys went absolutely through. So I always try to get that out there so people don't think we've got a stolen valor issue where, oh, Bishop says he was in the military. No, Eric Bishop will tell anyone every time I never served. Um, I'm fortunate that I know some people that did serve, and I'm fortunate that they gifted me some pretty amazing things that I cherish. That I, I mean, those flags, they mean a lot to me to have that piece of, uh, piece of history, really. Um, but it's a piece of history for that person's life and what they did. I mean, my buddy would come back and, you know, he wasn't allowed to tell me things. He wasn't allowed to show me things. And sometimes I would get to see something that I probably wasn't supposed to see. And I'd be like, is that what I think it is? And he'd be like, shut up. You didn't see that. I'm like, okay. And I would never tell anyone, you know, I've been in places on the military base that you're not allowed to go, but you know, I might have possibly gone in there and got to see some stuff. Um, Here's what I can say. Um, so another person would be a great person. Maybe you talk to down the line when he gets his deal is, um, 
Um, this year, I've befriended an author named Jack Stewart. Uh, so Jack is an up and coming writer, uh, not a young guy like me, um, which I, a lot of guys have had multiple careers. Um, Jack served for over 20 years in the Navy, um, flown, I don't know how many missions, been to, um, overseas during the war. And um, I, he's reserved now, Navy pilot. He flies actually for Southwest, but um, uh, he met me down in New Orleans. We were going down to New Orleans in August for a writing conference. The conference got canceled. He was still flying there. He flies out of Joint Base uh, New Orleans. Um, and he said, if you want to come down, I can get you in a simulator because I've been asking him for a long time. I, I want a back seat. I want to get in the back of the Air Force, you know, in, in the Navy jet. And he's basically like, Bishop, you're a nobody. It ain't going to happen. I'm like, crap, man. Come on. If, again, if you're going to have goals, everyone, any writer out there, if you're going to have goals or any, whatever your life is, shoot big. Don't have your goal to be to go work at McDonald's. Have your goal to be to walk in the Oval Office, sit at the Resolute Desk, which is one of my goals. Um, because guess what? Maybe you'll achieve it. And if not, you'll keep pushing to try to get it. But um, but he was kind enough to get me on base and we did a flight simulator. So I got to do back in August, um, I got to do an F-18 Hornet flight simulator where it's a full on, you get in that simulator, all the buttons are real. This is what the pilots use. I had never, I'd flown one plane in my life, uh, young, oh, years ago, I flew a Cessna. Um, but I had never been in a fighter jet, never sat in it. Um, done some simulators, I guess, like video games, but they were very archaic. And this was the real deal simulator. Um, it was an absolute blast. And I came home and I tell them some of my buddies and they're like, dude, who flies in a simulator for an F-18 horn? And I'm like, you know, this guy. Um, and I'm blessed to be able to do it. So you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've got to do some cool stuff with some military people. And I have a list of things I, you know, I, my buddy that was just got out, I told him, um, I want to skydive. I've never skydived. Um, and I've wanted to for years and I still haven't had kids, had responsibilities, life happens. Um, so I told my buddy several years ago, I want to jump with the Black Knights, who they're like the elites army jumpers. They're the most famous ones. They're the best ones. Um, he's like, you're a nobody. You're not jumping with the Black Knights. Well, guess what? I still have a goal of I want to jump with the Black Knights. Also, I think probably is a good chance um, that if I jump with them, it's probably going to be safe because um, George Bush jumped with them, I think, when he was 85 or 90. Um, and they were willing to give up their life for him if his chute didn't open. Of course, he was tandem. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, I think, I'm pretty sure if my chute doesn't open, they're going to be like, bye-bye, Bishop. That might be Jack Stewart that said, yeah, don't pull. It'll be fine. Um, but uh, no, just, you know. So if anyone knows anyone tied to the Black Knights, call me. I'm willing to jump out of a plane with them. Well, you know. As long as Jack Stewart does not stuff the parachute. Because I don't know. I might, you know, he, he might try to trick me. Well, you know, the, the thing that is, is you are a published author now. Or, now you know, I should be able to do it. You, you Jack might. should also get me in the backseat of a fighter pilot now, too, right? I'm going to have Jack watch this interview. Jack, I come mean, on, dude. Call the Admiral. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen. The the one the one thing my my critics always accuse me of is, oh, you're just a clout chaser, and it's like, well, is clout clout chasing? I mean, for the sake of clout chasing, isn't good. But if you have clout chasing for a for a purpose, then you know, is really that bad? So maybe you know, maybe you'll get uh-huh. in, maybe you'll, you'll get invited to to jump with the. Uh, you know, Black Knights or or something along. I'll tell you a secret, Sam. I will. I will. It'll happen. Yeah. It'll happen. And you know how it's not going to happen? Is if I say, nah, 
that's not going to happen. I'm never going to ask anyone for that. I'm never going to tell anyone I want to do that. Yeah, pretty sure it's not going to happen. So um, I don't believe I think therefore I am and anything you think is going to materialize. No, that's that's the crazy talk. again. Yeah, I don't believe in that. But I do think you have a. I wouldn't say control. I think you can talk yourself out of things and I think you can create opportunities for yourself um, by your actions, by your words, by what you do. Um, And some of it I say is joking around. You know, I do have a pretty ambitious list of things I want to do in life. Sure. Um, And I'm not checking them off very quickly and I'm 45 now and that kind of pisses me off sometimes um, but I never wanted to be that one of those people that their list of things to accomplish was simplistic. For sure. words. I, I want goals. Even if I can't achieve those goals, I want to have them out there as that carrot that keeps me getting up every morning and saying, okay, what do I got to do? If I want to get this goal, I have to do this. Um, and yeah, I just, you can talk yourself out of a lot of things in life and I don't want to be that person that does that. Yeah, listen, stranger things, stranger things have happened to, to people. Um, no, you know, I, I have a letter sitting on my, uh, on my, you can't see it, it's back on the wall over there. I have a letter from President George H.W. Bush, 41st President of the United States. He's, it's a letter, signed, signed letter, um, a signed picture of him. Um, I've met President Ford one time. Um, I think the body man will probably get me in the White House at some point, maybe, might let me sit behind the resolute desk at some point. Maybe that's the goal. That's the thing. But um, again, shoot. Why shoot for low? Why shoot for uh, you know, just existing? Um, and I've got to do some really cool things. And um, I don't plan on stopping doing really cool things. If I did, if this ride ends tonight, this is the last thing I get to do. Man, I got no complaints either. Um, because I've got to do. You know, I've I've got two amazing kids. I've had a life that's a blessed. Um but I'd like to keep doing it for another 45 years. Oh yeah. And why not? And who knows? And who knows you know, I I have a feeling that this book, you know, could really take off and open, you know, to a whole new series of things. So, so. um, are you planning on releasing an an audiobook version at all? Or I'd like to. Yeah. So I, that's in the publisher's hands. And as of right now, there is not a plan to do it. Um, probably will depend on how well the book does. Honestly, I, I actually had a successful author text me this morning and say, cool, your book's out there. Where's the audiobook? It's like, ah. so um, that's unfortunately out of that. That would be the downside, I guess, of not self-published. If I self-published, if I want to spend money, I can do anything I want um but of course you have to have that money to be able to do it uh but yeah no i would definitely and i know audiobooks are big um one of the authors i talked to said you know they get like 20 25 percent of um their sales are in audiobooks yeah well so, i'm well i'm a i'm a huge i'm a huge audiobook book listener and you know half jokingly i'm you know i was gonna ask too well well who in your publishing company do i need to call and badger to to get an not to get an audiobook i'll uh, uh you know after this uh, i'll give you the publisher's information tell them I, I think that would help if people came out and told the publisher hey we want an audiobook if enough people wanted it it'd probably be a good reason to do it and uh, you know we're two days into the sales i actually first I, thing i told the publisher is i don't want to know 
I don't know want to know my sales numbers. And maybe some people want to know and they're out there looking at Amazon. What, what are my ranking? I was like, I don't want to know. I'm either going to be really excited or really disappointed. And right now my job is to try to sell this book, tell about the body man, write the other book. I don't want to have numbers screwing with my head. So I, I think it will sell well and I think it will be sustained. So I'm not looking for the first, I mean, I'm not going to be a bestseller anything like that. The Body Man's a smaller publisher. I don't have mass distribution and every bookstore and all that. I'm, I'm online. I'm on Barnes and Noble. I'm on Amazon. You can buy every version, but the audiobook. Um, but I also have realistic expectations, but I also, you know, my goal with it, and again, it's out of my control is I'm hoping just we start good and we just have a steady rise and steady numbers and keep it going. And I've lined up a couple media things for like January and February, people that were that far backed off say, Hey, we'd love to have you on, but we're backed up two months. I was like, no, that's cool. I'll be a seasoned pro at this within two months. And I'm hoping I'm still selling books. And if things are slowing down in January or February, maybe jumping on your podcast will help jump some numbers. And um, I'm hoping by then the book's in the hands of the ex-presidents. And one of them has read the book and been like, damn, this guy figured it out. And uh, maybe throw some publicity my way. So Eric Bishop is, is a terrific author, major bigly. There's no... There's no better author in the thriller genre than Eric Bishop. And trust me, I know all of the best authors in the thriller game. That is a horrible Trump impression, but I uh, I, I definitely try I will, my best. I will definitely try to get a, a book in his hands. I have addresses for most of them. I have a couple maybe inroads with them. When I get the hard copies, I'm not going to send them a paperback. I'm going to send each president what they have worked for, a hardback. I have a couple other things to send them. Um, but, um, and that, I don't know if they'll ever see it. They might never see the books. And again, I can't control that. I can try to get them in their hands. I, again, I, I want, I talked about Reggie Love earlier. I want to get a copy to Reggie um, just because I'd love to just have a person that was called the body man read this book and probably laugh at it and that's fine but i'd love them to read it and be like oh this is pretty clever good job or oh this guy knows a little something what's what did he figure out um but yeah yeah be careful be, be careful who you send it to you don't careful what you wish for so you don't want uh, you might you might just get it <laughs> you don't want the uh you don't want the director of the cia to be like hmm this guy knows a little too I've got him in my book. I've got it. I, I've got him already figured out. I've got him in the, in the next book too. Uh, uh, DNI is the big character, the director of national intelligence. That one, uh, yeah. that was a fun, that's a fun one to write. I, I've got a, uh, that actually the DNI is actually named after someone that means a lot to me. So I, I use someone's name. And again, like I was saying earlier, that's the fun part. Cool. Um, to be able to put some names in that, that might not mean anything to anybody else, but to me, um, to me, they're a big deal. So well, if, if you if you ever need to base anyone off of like a media personality, uh, you know, I'll 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 give you the rights to use my uh, my name. And well, I will say this because you know we're we're gonna you're gonna bu- uh, put this out here, so I'm gonna be I haven't put the video out yet. I put it in my newsletter, but I don't think my newsletter gets that much traction. Um, I did a contest that ended on Pub Day or that night. Um, I was trying to get people to buy the advanced copy. Um, and I said, if you buy the advanced copy, you send in proof of purchase. Um, I'm going to run a contest and you can be a character in breach of trust. That's the title of the second book. Um, and here's what's and people do that all the time. That's not a unique, yeah. contest. but my spin on it and how it is unique is what's different is you can tell me 
do you want your character to live or do you want your character to die? If you die, I'll make it good. If you live, you might be end up in the third book. Um, so I need to pick the winner. I was going to try to do that tonight and I'm probably going to get too tired and I'll just do it tomorrow when I have fresh eyes. Um, but um, I need to pick the winner for that one. But I got a good turnout and I've had quite a few people say, well, I, I didn't, and I, the ebook was, uh, you weren't able to pre-order all the, all the versions uh, just because of some stuff going on. And the ebook was, and I had a lot of people say, I don't want to buy the ebook, but I want to be in your next book. Um, I said, well, you know what? I got to kill people and I got to have character names and the book's not far enough along that I'd have to go make a lot of changes. Um, I can do it again. So we're going to start a contest. Uh, I got a video I've, I've shot. I need to put it out there maybe tomorrow. Um, but we'll do a contest starting with uh, pub day, starting with if you bought the book yesterday that people can send in proof of purchase. I'll give them an email address for that. And if they want to be a character in breach of trust, again, this is the second go at it. Um, you get to choose if you live or die. Um, the other the other contest I'm going to do uh, involves one of these coins. And what I'm going to have everyone do, whoever's interested, and I'm, it's going to drag on a little bit because the hardcovers aren't, aren't in everyone's hands yet. The paperbacks are, are getting in the mail. I got mine today. Um, but anyone that buys a copy of the book, whether it's the paperback, the ebook, or the hardcover, um, starting on pub day, going forward until December 15th, if you buy a copy of the book, I want you to take a picture of it. Not like this, because this isn't a very good picture. But I want you to take a picture that's going to make me impressed, that I'm going to really like. you got to be in it, and the book has to be in it. Impress me. Do something cool. You do that, I will send you a hardcover signed personalized book. And I'll send you one of these. There's not very many of these made. I'll send you a personal challenge coin. Um, I'd love to see what people come up with. And again, not necessarily other authors have done that. Um, and they've gotten some really cool response and it's just cool. I got, a, um, right before I came on tonight, um, Dr. Jason Piccolo, who I was on his podcast, Jason does the protectors, great podcast. Yeah. Great yeah. Guy. Um, you know, uh, uh, someone that's served someone that's been in the military and someone that's, you know, really put their life on the line and, and been, been one of those people that you know, I really respect a lot. Um, and that really supports law enforcement. He bleeds law enforcement. Um, he posted a picture with his book. He got his book today and he posted a picture and I've jumped on, I'm sure there's messages since then. I haven't looked at Twitter in hours. Um, I, man, set, keep sending those pictures. I want to see people um, with a copy of their book. And uh, um, it's just cool, uh, you know, for someone that wrote the book to see it in someone's hands, to uh, hear someone like yourself and other people that have been starting to read it. I, I've heard from several people that finished it, that finished it yesterday. And they're like, they loved it. And they had cool things to say about it. Um, I did my job then, you know, if the book resonates and if people want a second book, then I did what I set out to do. I created a clever narrative that is resonating with people. Um, you know, I want, I do want people to think about things, you know, is there, you know, when it comes to the body man, do you want someone, not even, is there someone there? We'll just work off the premise that there's someone in the white house with a lot of power that I've described. Do you want someone in the white house with that much power? Um, do you want someone that will step in and prevent the uh, president from doing something or cleaning something up the president did? And, um, you know, I had to figure out and I had to learn what was the backstory of the body, man. When did it start? Um, I know exactly the moment it started. Um, that's actually the first chapter in the third book, actually, which is a, the only chapter in the third book I've written is the start of this whole body man era. The um, 
And the cool thing about the concept too is because the body man is not just one person, because that person's um, there's time ends and another person steps in. Um, I can do some interesting stories with it being different characters. Um, I've already got the next body man picked out um, and uh, developed uh, in written form and in my head. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's just it's it's fun to play on this. I don't know how long I'll do this. I. I'm kind of on the fence. I'm a huge Vince Flynn fan. Um, Kyle Mills, when Vince died, um, I think a lot of people were extremely sad and myself, one of them, because I, every year when that book came out, I would devour that thing in a day. Oh man, I loved reading his books. And when he passed on, uh, yeah, that sucked. That sucked, uh, of course, for his family, but it sucked for the readers and the fans. Um, and when Kyle stepped in, you know, I was kind of like, goodness, I wonder how this is going to go. And, you know, Kyle's besides being a stand-up guy he is a phenomenal writer and um you know I but that the series has gone on a long time and man do I want to write a series that long and I'm not saying that I would be able to um that I'd have that opportunity but if I had that opportunity do I want to write 20 books of the same character um and I don't know I honestly don't know if I'd want to I like the freshness I like the fact that uh, the body man changes out. I got a different person because they're all so very different. Even the, even though they have to follow a certain criteria, um, they're all very different individuals. And, you know, and this is not a plot point, but just, you know, off the cuff, you know, what if you get a body man in there that isn't exactly who they seem? What if you got someone there with that much power that, um, you know, they can, do something with it that might not be good for the country. Um, you know, again, there's a million, a million, a million things. I, I don't know if you, Chris Hottie, um, a deep state. Uh, that's a book that I was able yeah. to get an advanced copy. Um, Chris did, and I, I know, uh, I've talked to Chris. Um, I did a podcast with him a while ago and then we've had just interactions and um, as someone that's achieved success, at a later stage in life. Um, you know, Chris isn't 30 years old. He's been a screenwriter for a long time and um, just came out with this book that just bowled people over. And the things he did in that book weren't what most people did. And, you know, that's, I think we were talking about it earlier. We might not have been, but um, uh, talk about characters. What a neat thing that Chris did in deeps in his books and especially in Deep State, first time he did it, is you have a lot of minor, you need minor characters. You know, someone goes somewhere, they're going to interact with someone. And that person comes on for a page, a chapter, uh, a paragraph, and they're gone. Um, well, what Chris really did, if, if you've read that or if you recall, is um, for some of those minor characters, he'd kind of give you the, and after that moment, this is what happened to them. They went on to do this. They died in a fiery car wreck. I don't remember all the details of what he did with his characters, but he kind of gave you a glimpse a forlorn forlorning of what's going to occur in the future for them, um, which was a really cool thing to do. And, and I always love seeing someone take a genre I think I know and then give it a little twist. Oh, they're doing that now. Uh, and it keeps it fresh. And I'm hoping that's what the body man does. I hope it's a fresh take on a political thriller because I don't want it to be stale. I don't want people to know what's going on after three chapters. I want people to you know, when some of the reveals happen to be like, I didn't see that coming. I well, do. I do have an idea for a, for a potential plot, maybe that 
down uh, the line uh if if you're interested i'm not sure if uh it's something that are you looking for royalties here or something sam uh what's what's going on no i mean i i mean i've i've got my own I've got my I've got my own books. I've got my own novella novella series for for mm-hmm. that. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's a whole my idea bunch, is where it could be taken. There's a whole bunch of uh, you know that that's the fun thing about writing these is uh, you know, and the other thing with the with the body man and kind of the the idea of having multiple people. I know this isn't, isn't exactly the same thing, but as you're talking about the the uh the different personalities that reminded me a bit of the what they've done with james bond over the past oh yeah james 50... bond did some pretty 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 dramatic changes really so yeah including yeah. the fact that uh you know but by, by now i'm pretty sure everyone knows that uh you know Jennifer... is this the new movie yeah have you, have don't you... say it i haven't seen it don't oh okay. it for me sam i have i have a i have a two-hour spoiler filled uh podcast i'm not watching that one sam i'm not listening to that one i'm gonna i i haven't seen it yet i was gonna go to the theater and then i saw how long it was i'm getting old i've fallen you i fell asleep during deadpool 2 how old am i that i've ted pool now i was with guys from fifth group and it was a theater outside of fort campbell um it was hot the air conditioner broke. So we're in this theater and it's like 82 degrees and I'm old. So, you know, the guy next to me is 29. He's fine. I lay down and I'm sitting there in the theater. And uh, all I know is I open my eyes and I'm like, what did I miss? I didn't know how long I slept through. My buddy next to me, I look at him. He's just straight on watching the movie. And I'm kind of like, you know, what do you want? He didn't, I don't know if he even realized us. I, must, I wasn't snoring at the time, I guess. Um, so I went back and saw Deadpool like a couple of weeks later, back when I went home with another buddy. And I was like, and I kind of nudged him. I was like, I fell asleep during this. I got to see how much I missed. What did I miss? So um, I get to the part where I don't remember anymore. I nudge him. I was like, okay, I fell asleep at this point. I don't remember this part. I watched for 45 minutes, Sam. And then I, finally, I remembered that next part. I'm like, holy crap, I slept through half the movie. So yeah, three hour movies. I think the No Time to Die is three hours. That's going to be a like... That's going to be an uh, online watching that I can maybe watch it twice because if I start that too late, I'm not going to stay awake. It, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like two and a, it doesn't feel like two it and a half. Okay. The well the the other thing too is they just released it on uh, rental, so if you have like Amazon or iTunes or something, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. you can you can you can rent it now. Um, okay, I might have to catch it at some point then on rental. So. I mean, have have you seen have you seen Craig's Bond bef- before? I'm assuming I've seen all the other ones besides this one. Yes, and I've gone to the theater to see the last couple. I think I have. I know I have at least two or three over there in the, in the movie case. Um, yeah, so I've seen him. I, I think he's. I mean, I don't know. It's I, I don't get into the ranking ones for those. I know which ones I don't kind of like, um, but I think Craig's done it. I, I think he. I think he kind of revitalized the uh, franchise, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Craig is the one who actually got me interested in reading the original Ian Fleming novel. Oh, that's which, awesome. Which, which you want to talk about, you want to talk about thrillers. I mean, th- those yeah. books are, those books are like, you know, 50, 60, you know, they came out in the, in the late fifties and early sixties, a lot of them. They, they, 
minus some of the uh, minus from the racial language and term and terminology that they used. Yeah, you know, back then they still hold up as they did. yeah, absolutely as good, you know, as a good store. Well, and I think and, I think a good story will hold up. Now, there's technology things, you know. Forty years ago, there wasn't cell phones. Books now have cell phones. Well, that's the way we communicate. You, you you can't skirt that now and say, and he ran off to his office and picked up his rotary phone. No, the fact is that we all have phones in our pockets that can pretty much do anything we want, turn our lights on, start our car. I mean, you know, whatever you think of, you pretty much have an app for now. Um, so they get dated because of that. But a, a good story transcends the dates. Yeah. A good story will hold up 50 years later. I mean, I mentioned earlier when we talked that the first thing I started doing was writing poetry. Um, why did I write poetry? Because I liked William Shakespeare. I have this leather-bound complete works at the bottom of my shelf. Um, William Shakespeare was a long, long, long time ago. Um, and it's old English. It's hard to read. But what William Shakespeare told has, hung, has held up for hundreds of years. Well, that's a true storyteller that can tell a story that transcends their life, um, their lifespan. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even, even like the, you know, in like the great American authors, and, and I mean, I would consider Clancy to be one of those, certainly. And, so, I, and, uh, I, and you know, I, I, I don't want to give him a big head, but I think, I think Jack Carr could be on his, way to becoming one of those uh you know great american authors certainly of the post 9-11 sure um, no i can I'll completely uh, completely resonate with that that statement resonates absolutely and so. i mean i i and i mean i think he I, and i mean i think based on what i know he would he would kind of be like oh shucks and uh, you know because he se- he seems kind of he's pretty humble pretty humble yeah. guy pretty yeah. humble guy yeah but you he know doesn't it, have a big doesn't have a big head if well, he does, I mean, he hides it very, very well, but he doesn't have a big head, trust me. Well, and I mean, that's that's the other just to think from, from my perspective, too, is like reading reading political thrillers like from the Cold War, like the John Lacare mm. uh, books and whatnot. And then, you know, reading the post. I mean, I was I was born in the mid I was born in the mid-90s, so I sort of remember I was born yes, in the Should I say yes, son? <laughs> I was you're a little younger than me. <laughs> I was I was born in 95 so I kind of remember I remember a little bit of what the world was like pre 9/11 and then yeah. I definitely remember the world before smartphones but now now there's a whole generation of kids that doesn't even remember that doesn't even remember the internet pre Facebook and I'm yeah. kind of like there's a whole generation that doesn't even recall I mean there, there's a generation that doesn't know what 9-11 is now. Uh, you'd say 9-11, they're like, what do you mean 9-11? Like, 9-11, 2001, 9-11, they're like, what? I mean, I've met people that have said that, kids, um, young people, not, not five-year-olds either. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I, clearly I've, I graduated high school in 94. So I remember life before 9-11. I traveled a lot before 9-11. Um, I was in Europe before 9-11. Um, yeah, it's, the world has changed um, dramatically um, just in my lifespan, especially from a technology standpoint. From technology, 
my kids sometimes will mention something about cell phones and they, you know, they don't have cell phones. Uh, my daughter will mention, oh, dad, she mentioned it last night. Daddy, when I turn 16, you're going to buy a cell phone. I'm like, you can buy your own cell phone. What? And I said, I bought my own cell phone. I was 18 or 19. I have to think about it. It was on this old bulky Verizon phone that I used and I had to pay for minutes and you only had 80 minutes or 100 minutes and you couldn't text. I think you could text, but, you know, it was like click, click, click. But yeah, it's, uh, but, and, you know, well, I'll be driving, dad. I need to, what if I break down? Oh, I got six years. I'll think about that. I'll think about what we're going to do. I'm just, you know, of course, I also tell her, well, you're going to live with dad till you're 35. Uh, yeah, no, you'll just, I'll drive you wherever you got to go and then I'll drive you back home. And this is a bad world and there's bad people out there. And, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to no. have to go to federal prison at some point because someone decided to mess with you. And um, I don't trust. Yeah. And yeah. And, <laughs> and by the way, and by the way, dad's not afraid to go to jail either. So dad has a shovel, a roll of duct tape and no conscience. You're well, and one thing and, <laughs> and, and dad's nickname is the body man too. That, that ought to. Dad, so let's keep that straight. I am not the body man. I know the body man. The body man happens to tell me his stories and I put them out there for people, but I am not the body man. However, I know the body man and I know some pretty badasses. Oh yeah, I know. I know. I can yeah. make some phone calls. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, all right, sir. Well, again, I really appreciate you coming on, and thank you for uh, having me, Sam. I where, enjoyed our talk. Where can people find you? At? Great and, question. And where can, I, where can people get this book? So probably the easiest way, and I, and I do want to support local. So we're not spread out just with a smaller publisher i don't know what local stores i will or will not be in if you can get it from your local bookstore and go down there and ask them to order it i would encourage you to do that i'm going to be working with a local bookstore for signed copies here close to my house um from what most people do and i mean i ordered a book from them is amazon's probably the easiest if you go go to amazon search bar type in the body man eric bishop i the body man eric bishop will pull up my book first um you can get the ebook, paperback, hardback. Um, they'll be at your house pretty darn soon. And um, Barnes and Noble has it as well. They have the hardback and the paperback on Barnes and Noble's website. I checked that actually a few hours ago, make sure that all looked good. Um, and there'll be other locations. Um, probably if you go to Google and type in the body man, Eric Bishop, it'll probably go to shopping and you, other bookstores will have it. Um, and then I also have a website. Um, it's my name, ericpbishop.com. Uh, P stands for Paul. Just think of the Beatles. So ericpbishop.com. Um, I don't keep it updated with everything, but it has links to everything. It has links to um, blog entries I've done. It has links to the books, uh, the book being sold, um, and where to go get copies of it. Tells a little bit about me. Um, tells a little bit about my adventure, where I've been. I've got a page that kind of shows some pictures and some of the places I've been fortunate to travel. Um, I'm on Twitter. Twitter is my most common. I'm uh, um, at EPB author, my initials, uh, EPB author um, on Facebook, uh, Eric P. Bishop author on Facebook, uh, Instagram, same thing, EPB author for Instagram. I'm on Twitter the most. If people want to connect with me, follow me. I'll follow you back. Yeah, you can direct message me from Twitter. Uh, Facebook, I'll probably get in touch with you, but I haven't checked Facebook in a couple of days and I know there's a lot of messages. It's just, I hadn't got to it. I was going to try to get to it tonight. I might get to it on Saturday at the rate I'm going. 
Um, Instagram, I don't have a huge following, so I'm definitely on Instagram, but it's an easy fix. I can go there in a couple minutes and like a few things and reply. So, well, yeah, well, well, for me, what's interesting is, uh, whoop, did we lose you? Uh, okay. I think we, I think we, uh, lost Eric. So. Anyway, folks, I guess that will do it then. Uh, hold on. I might be getting a message. Um, yeah, his his computer just died. Um, well, at any rate, then, uh, I think that'll do it for uh, Eric P. Bishop. So, uh, Eric, if you're listening to this, thank you for uh, coming on. and. Uh, yeah, folks, you can check out his books um, on Amazon or wherever you get your books. And I want to thank him for coming on. And folks, I will see you tomorrow um, on the Whitfield Report for the Saturday show. Until then, take care. God bless. God save this great nation. God for you like to see in that order. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Whitfield Report on the NGC Network. Please visit Sam's website at www.thesamwhitfield.com and support Sam on Patreon at patreon.com slash whitfieldreport. Until next time, God bless, God save this great nation, and God, freedom, legacy, in that order. <laughs>